This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 197 for Thursday, September 5th, 2013. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. You can always hit up our feedback line. That's 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. All right, guys, so we are three episodes away from the big MTR 200. Very, very excited for that. We got a lot in store for you guys for our 200th episode of My Take Radio. Of course, it's a big milestone. Besides it being 200 episodes, we have something very, very special in store for you guys, which will pretty much dictate the course of My Take Radio going forward. So once we have all of that in play, you guys should hopefully be seeing that on September 26th. I mean... Unless something happens between then and I have to end up doing some taped episodes, MTR 200 right now is scheduled to broadcast live on September 26th at 11 p.m. So we should be good as new with regards to that. Now, one of the things that gets me really hype is the fact that we we did a lot of great stuff this week. Slick and I attended the um, Samsung Galaxy Gear and Note 3 unveiling Um, earlier this week, and I want to get into that with you guys along with a bunch of other stuff which we're going to discuss, not to mention Microsoft buying Nokia, which I want to touch a little bit on that, and a couple of other things as well. Just want to get a few announcements out of the way first. Um, Our friends over at the Headlocked Comic are doing some stretch goals. They're hoping to get to $23,000. Uh, Thus far, their project is fully funded, but the stretch goals that they're looking to achieve are going to allow people to get some really, really great stuff. So do yourselves a favor. Make sure to head over to Kickstarter.com, look up Headlocked, The Last Territory, and help out our boys at Headlocked. Um, Mike Kingston, who you guys have heard on MTR Beyond the Mic on two different occasions, is a big supporter of MTR. We're, of course, a big supporter of Headlocked, and if you want to get... In on that action, make sure to check out the stretch goals that they got, t-shirts, books, a ton of great exclusive stuff if you donate to their Kickstarter. Again, go to kickstarter.com and look for Headlocked, The Last Territory. Also got to throw out a birthday shout out to Agamemnon from Punching the Walls of Reality. I interviewed those guys on the My Take Radio Behind the Mic interview series. Really solid crew over there at Punching the Walls of Reality. And I'll be really honest when I say... I don't give a lot of shows shout outs that I'm not really, really close with. Of course, our friends and family at the GFQ network, you know, Andrew Zarian and those guys get love 
obviously, because we're on the same network, and a couple of other shows that are outside of our usual wheelhouse I got to support as well. But the crew at Punching the Walls of Reality, they, they, they're in a similar wheelhouse to us, except just the way that they present things and the way they do things is definitely a lot different than how we do things here at MTR. And I definitely wanted to give those guys a shout-out. They work their ass off. Um, you know, definitely happy birthday to Agamemnon. And, of course, uh, the rest of the crew over there are Punching the Walls of Reality. Look them up on Facebook if you want to see what they are all about. I know that those guys, both of them, do comment on the Facebook fan page on occasion. Give them a give them a like, check them out, and um, wish them a happy birthday if you're there this evening. Last but not least, our very own Jay Santi is doing a Madden 25 online league on Xbox 360. I know a lot of you guys that are familiar with the show know that we shit on Madden a lot. But that doesn't stop people from playing it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I played the demo for the newest Madden. I, I enjoyed it. looked pretty badass. But it's I'm, I'm so past the whole roster update Madden thing. But that doesn't mean that you guys should um, follow suit and not play it. But if you guys want to get in, uh, test your skills against Jay, you can hit him up on Xbox. The league name is NYC Finest Football. Um, Jay Santi's gamer tag is red, M-Z-A, 22 again red r-e-d-m-z-a and the number 22 you guys can get in on that and test your skills against jay and the rest of the uh mtr faithful that are into madden by hitting him up just let him know that you heard it on my take radio episode 197 i'm sure he'll be glad to hear from you all right so this week um definitely a, a lot of mma to discuss we got two ufc cards the return of the ultimate fighter ben is going to be joining me later on in the show to discuss all of that plus this week's mma news um of course i the monologue this week plain and simple galaxy note 3 galaxy gear um nokia and microsoft apple's announcement next week so let me get right into it first up slick and i went to the samsung event yesterday at in Times Square to see the unveiling of the Samsung Galaxy Note 3 as well as the Galaxy Gear companion device or smartwatch depending on on who you speak to. Uh one of the things I got to say is that the the evolution of the quote-unquote phablet which is the 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 subgenre of, you know, larger phones is really starting to take shape and a lot more people are becoming open to the concept of holding a larger phone. I personally am a Samsung Galaxy Note 2 owner. I have been for a, a, quite a long time since the device launched. And I have to say, I originally had my cell phone, an iPad, all the usual stuff. And when I sold my iPad, I said to myself, oh, I'm going to bag a smaller, you know, iPad mini so I can read on the train when I'm going to events and take notes, etc., etc., etc. And honestly, since picking up the Note 2, I, I haven't needed to do that. Sure, um, the Note 2 kind of sucks to read comics and stuff like that, but when it comes to productivity and just managing the site remotely, I I can't ask for a better piece of hardware, um, especially the stylus that comes with it. I take notes, write down phone numbers, I do a lot of stuff, great camera. You guys see all the stuff I share on Instagram, our Facebook fan page, my personal page, and all over social media, a lot of it comes straight from my Note 2. And the Note 3 definitely, um, it wasn't just a, a, a hardware refresh. There was improvements across the board from the thinness of the device, the size of the device, the S Pen stylus, 
um, all great stuff, great accessories. And the thing that gets me is, you know, the, the same high capacity battery. I believe it's 3,200 milli, milliamps. You can see Slicks write up that's already on mytakeradio.com. And you can also check out the photos on our Facebook fan page. Or if, you're fi- or if you know me personally, you can see it in, in my personal album as well. Uh, the fact is that I was very, very impressed with what Samsung offered. Of course, it's going to be a very, uh, a very expensive device. You know, it's going to be at least six, seven hundred dollars cash. But given the changes with cell phone plans as of late, people should be able to pick it up with relative ease. Now, of course, the big one is the Galaxy Gear Watch. Now, the Galaxy Gear Companion device or the Galaxy Gear Watch, depending again on who you ask, works only with the Note 3 currently and is rumored of course, to be getting an update down the road to work with the Galaxy S4. Now, you're probably asking yourself, what's the big deal about a watch? Well, a couple of things. Since the the evolution of the smartphone, nobody wears watches. I know very few people that wear watches on a consistent basis because they have their phones with them. Now, of course, there's always those, those situations where you need a watch, um, formal occasions, things like that, where you want to complement uh, some formal attire, but... The watch itself has kind of fallen by the wayside. So a lot of devices are trying to bring not only the resurgence of the watch itself, but also trying to take advantage of that open real estate on our bodies being our wrists. Of course, we got things like the Fitbit, uh, Nike Fuel Band, etc. that monitor our health and they, they do a ton of stuff. But there hasn't been a complete device yet that has come along that not only does pulls double duty as a heart rate monitor and monitors your health, but also gives you all your notifications and just keeps you from having to pull your phone out of your pocket. And the galaxy gear is that device. I mean, initially I was very apprehensive based on some of the mock-ups I saw online. I said to myself, this is going to be some hokey shit that, you know, it's going to be really cool because it's going to have that whole, you know, Dick Tracy watch vibe and it's going to fall by the wayside. But Samsung really did their homework with this device. It's extremely comfortable to wear. It's attractive. It doesn't look garish or totally out of the out of the norm on your wrist. On the contrary, it just looks like a nicer high end watch. And considering how successful the the Pebble watch was on Kickstarter, Samsung I think decided to take it to that extra level. Um, of course, letting you interact with your phone, receiving notifications, text messages. You can answer your phone. The crazy thing is that the wristband of the watch has a camera, which is a little strange, but it is what it is. There's also a speaker to hear notifications and, and, and sounds and also answer the phone as well, which is a little crazy. Again, falling into that whole Dick Tracy vibe. Now, the rumored price for it for the Galaxy Gears are going to be roughly 300 bucks. Again, it's not something you really need, but given that we're so connected with our phones, I, I do admit that there is usefulness, especially in my case. Like, if I'm in a meeting, especially at work, where I have to keep my phone on silent, I have my watch, say I get an important message or a notification or a phone call, it can just show up on my wrist, I can take a look at it, and worst case, if I gotta step out, I don't have to deal with the whole pulling the phone out and being rude, I can just look at my watch, step out for a second, and see whatever notification it is. Same thing applies with, um, if you're in a movie theater, and you have your phone on silent and there's an alert or something that you want to keep track of, especially if you run a business or if you have to be connected for your work. It, it's, it's a, it's definitely a, a device that has its place. Is it a device you need? 
Absolutely not. Do not think for one second that you need a $300 watch on your wrist that can tell you if you have a text message or not. But if you're someone that's like, that likes to be at the forefront, that likes to be on bleeding edge technology, definitely. I got, I got to recommend it because it does do the job. The, the $300 price point, eh, it's a little sketchy, but I will say that in picking up the note three, I may not get it right away, but I may pick up the galaxy gear. I mean, I'm constantly connected to my phone. Um, being insta dad or the you know the parent to the the surrogate parent for two kids with special needs i need to be connected at all times i mean one of the things that's always that people give me a lot of shit for is for walking around wearing a uh bluetooth walking around with a bluetooth constantly um it, it, it's a little annoying obviously because you got the bluetooth on all the time it makes you look like all the bluetooth assholes you make fun of but in in my instance i have to be connected pretty much round the clock whether it's, you know, hospital hospital calls, doctor calls, um, social worker calls, you name it. I got to be plugged in all the time, whether it's at work or at home, wherever I am, got to be plugged in. So the the Note 3 and, and the Galaxy Gear have a place in, in my, you know, in my infrastructure, how I work. It's just something that, that works for me. Is it worth $300? It is definitely a, 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 a solid piece of hardware, but... Your mileage may vary. Everybody's going to look at it a little differently. I mean, our very own Slick said it, that the Galaxy Gear is very nice, but, um, you know, it, it's not something that he's going to buy anytime soon. And I agree, unless I can get a good price on a bundle or something, I'm not going to pick it up right away. I am um, of the mindset that I like to monitor certain things. One of the things I like to monitor is my sleep. Um, I monitor my sleep a lot because I don't sleep much. So... I'm always very curious about like my sleep, my heart rate, things like that. I've, I, if you guys have been on the site, you probably saw a while back. I reviewed the Lark sleep tracking device, which shows my sleep patterns. And and it's very, very crazy. You think, oh, you know, I close my eyes and I go to sleep and that's it. There, there was such a deeper science to studying my own sleep that it just tripped me out where I was sleeping, um, how long it took me to go into deep sleep. And, And the beauty of it is that when I was reviewing the Lark device, it actually wakes you up by vibrating on your wrist, which is cool because usually I have a tough time waking up. I actually use a, a sonic boom alarm clock, which if you've gone to think geek, you may, or you've probably seen it. The, the sonic boom alarm clock has very, very loud decibels to, to get you out of bed. Pretty much the equivalent of a jackhammer in your room. In addition to that, it also comes with a pad that I, I stick under my mattress, which actually vibrates my mattress to wake me up. That's how deep that's how deep my sleep is. So in, in testing a device like that and monitoring my sleep, there's there's benefits. Uh, eventually, I have a feeling that whatever mobile device we have and whatever, you know, companion watch device we wear is going to be able to tell us when our blood pressure gets too high, if our heart rate, you know, it already monitors our heart rate, but very soon we're going to be able to monitor some of the more simpler facets of our health just with a piece of technology on our wrist. I'm telling you, the, um, you know, the fu- the future is definitely here with, with regards to that. Me, me personally, I love it. I'm, I'm a huge a uh, huge user of all types of technology. Slick will tell you, I am plugged in. I got gadgets and shit all over my house from, you know, my my smart thermostat that I just got from Modlet, which I'm going to review to Google TV, you name it. I love that stuff. So the Galaxy Gear, definitely on my radar. I 
100% endorse the Note if you're looking for a full-fledged uh, productivity device and you don't mind that it's a little bigger than it should be. You know, for some people, they're going to get turned off by the size of the Note. It's it's not for everybody. I will tell you that. There are times I put my phone on a on a table when I'm out to eat or, or someplace and people just be like, what the fuck is that? But... For me, it's it's a tremendous, tremendous device, and all the enhancements and all the improvements that were done to it just make it a must-own for me. Again, check out the review, the write-up that Slick did, and be on the lookout for a write-up that I will be publishing later on this evening as well. But if you want to get a quick look, make sure to check out all the photos on MyTakeRadio.com as well. The other thing I wanted to talk about, of course, was Nokia. Um, Nokia was it was announced that they were sold to Microsoft, and um, of course, one of the big things is Nokia has been pretty much one of the major players in getting out Windows mobile phones. So to see that, um, as, as somebody who owned multiple Nokia phones growing up, especially in the early cell phone years. Um, it, it's, it's a little saddening to see just because it's, it's a, it's a brand that we've all known and loved and not for nothing. Nokia, even though they had a, a, a suspect operating system that was, you know, loved and hated by many people, they really put out some amazing phones during their tenure and not for nothing. I think that Microsoft is doing is, is smart in bringing in all their major players under one umbrella. Obviously, if you make your own cell phones, make your own video game consoles, make your own tablets, you're you're definitely ahead of the curve. And that's one of the things that, in my opinion, while people may give Microsoft a lot of shit, I think it's one of the ways that you're going to see a lot of synergy between um, video game operating systems, mobile phone operating systems, tablet, and desktop computers, and laptops as well. I think they're really doing... The, the smart move by bringing all that under one umbrella. Because for me, I think that one of the things that has always killed Microsoft is how everything is kind of fragmented. But now with the Xbox One, with Windows 8, and with the acquisition of Nokia, I think that those lines are going to start, um, those barriers in general are going to start being broken down. So I'm really actually pumped to see what Microsoft has in store with the Nokia brand and where they go from there. Because uh, I've, I've played with Windows Mobile and... I've owned iOS devices. I'm currently on Android just because I'm so deeply entrenched in the Google ecosphere. And I'll be honest when I say that Windows Mobile isn't isn't as bad as people make it out to be. I was actually going to get a Windows Mobile phone for my father-in-law, but since Android the Android platform and the phone that they were offering was better, we went with that. But the Windows Mobile phones are pretty nice. I mean, their, their app store is still a little bare, but... Not for nothing, MTR does have a Windows Mobile app and a Windows 8 app, so you're always welcome to pick those up if you have a Windows Mobile device. Last but not least, of course, BlackBerry is going to be uh, unveiling their BBM um, cross-platform. You're going to see BBM on iOS, um, Android, and and allegedly Windows Mobile as well. So for those of you that were hardcore BlackBerry users that have since moved on but missed BBM, you'll be able to access that on your new devices as well. And there's very, very strong rumors that Android, that um, BlackBerry is going to set is pretty much going to put itself up to market. So who knows? We may see some of those BlackBerry patents utilized either with Android devices, Windows Mobile, or iOS devices. We'll see how that pans out. Rumors are saying that Android could be. I mean, I keep saying Android. BlackBerry can be sold by as late 
by as early as next Thursday. We'll see what happens. Of course, if that goes down, we'll discuss it in brief on air. All right. So no crazy monologues. Everything was pretty quiet this week. Um, Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary happened. I didn't burn down anything. I didn't uh, throw anybody into traffic. I was, I was pretty well behaved this week. I think the Labor Day weekend was uh, a big factor in that. Um, Lastly, before we get into this week's show, just a quick reminder, you can listen to the show by going to mtrlive.com or mixler.com forward slash my take radio. But if you do want to get in on the chat, and still hear the high-quality feed, MTR Live is the way to go. Just make sure to mute one of the players so you do not have to deal with an echo. Of course, you can also use our call-in number. Just don't hit option one, and you can listen to the show that way. You can also listen to the shitty Blog Talk Radio feed if you choose, but to each his own. And, of course, our archives will be available in a couple of hours once the show is done via Stitcher, iOS, and all the usual services, which I'll say when we wrap up the show for this week. All right, so tonight's topics, lots of MMA. We got to talk about UFC Fight Night, the crowning of a new lightweight champion, the ultimate fighter, and all the MMA news for this week. So I know Ben was going to call in. Whenever he's ready, I will bring him on, and we will get right into it. So without any further ado, let's talk some MMA, shall we? Hey, Ben, what's up? What's up, man? Welcome back. Glad to be back. It's been, it's been a while, but in your absence, much has happened. So let's get, let's get the ball rolling, of course, with the, with the big one, which was UFC 164. And a couple of things out of, out of this card. Um, I think for certain guys, this may be, this may be the end of the road, for other guys, it's you know the, just the beginning of a road full of successes. And what I'm saying, what, the one guy that comes to mind first and foremost is Ryan Couture, who fought on the prelim Facebook card, lost a decision to Ali Akinta. I think um, Ryan Couture might be might be on his way out. What do you think? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he isn't. He's he's not really uh, a UFC caliber fighter. He. He's an okay fighter, but doesn't have the athleticism or really the skill to compete at the UFC level. So when he runs up against even, well, uh, a little bit better than mediocre fighters like Al Alaquinta, he gets his ass beat. Yeah, because it was there was no, it, it, not to say that Couture looked terrible. There was it, it just didn't feel like a guy who comes from that from that huge pedigree like the natural. It just felt like a guy going in there. I don't want to say he was going through the motions, but I mean, in that second round, he was pretty much absorbing punches with his face at that point. Yeah, he he had no answer for any of it. He he he. he there was nothing he could do but stand there and get hit. <laughs> I was I was tripped out. I was also tripped out by the um by the loss of Louis Gadanot against Tim Elliott. Um, Elliott looked really good in that fight. Louis Gadanot, you know, he's. He's a very interesting fighter to watch because it always feels like his performances are in waves. You have waves of just really good potential, and then it just falls flat. Yeah, Louis Gavino could 
I mean, this dude is a small for a flyweight. Uh, I mean, he's legit could be like a minimum weight if they ever decided to do that. But he, he's really small. And Tim Elliott, uh, Tim Elliott has impressed me in all his fights in the UFC against John Dotson. Uh, after John Dotson broke his hand, I believe, in the second round, Tim Elliott really came on. He beat the hell out of Jared Pajan, and he beat the hell out of Louis Gatineau. Uh Tim Elliott, I don't think he could beat Demetrius Johnson or John Dotson if they ever fought again, but um, he, he's a very good flyweight. Well, one guy, another guy who on his second go around with the UFC has done very well. And I was, I was kind of bummed the way it went, but the fight was very close was Jamie Varner. His fight with, with Gleason Tebow was very, very touch and go. I kind of felt Varner may have had the second and third, but I think what happened was he was eating a lot of punches in that early going. Yeah, I, I kind of felt like Ronner probably won the, the last two rounds, but um, T- Gleason Tebow uh, did what he had to do with some takedowns and stuff and and uh, won the fight. But I, I, I seriously feel like Ronner probably won. But I, I don't think it was like a huge robbery or anything like that. Well, one guy I know you talk highly of whenever whenever we discuss fight cards is Eric Koch. Um, his fight with Dustin Poirier totally out of nowhere was the end result of that fight. Just because, you know, Eric Koch, there's there's a lot of people that feel that he's one of those featherweight guys that can that can get in title contention with one or two fights, and for some reason, Poirier really had him scouted. Um, it was crazy, especially because he almost got caught with that choke in the first round, and he was saved by the bell. And then, you know, Koch redeemed himself with that rear naked in the third, but it was too late because Poirier, in my opinion, definitely was the aggressor in the first two rounds. Yeah, um, the first round legit could have been like 10-8 if it wasn't for Coke coming back with a triangle and, and almost catching a triangle. Um, I don't I don't know what happened in this fight. It seemed like as soon as Justin Poirier hit him, he was rocked, um, at least in the first round. Um, progressively throughout the fight, he got you know his, his senses back to him. But, you know, early in that fight, he, he looked pretty bad. But good for Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier is also a really, really good uh, featherweight, um, Eric Coke, uh, I read somewhere, is thinking about moving up to 155. I don't know if that would particularly help him or hurt him, but um, I'd be interested to see it. But, um, yeah, Dustin Poirier did a really good job in this fight. Well, one guy who, who Slick enjoys his, his performances is Brandon The Truth Vera. Um, it was not his night on that card. Ben Rothwell, murder, death, kill, round three, with the TKO, Rothwell then proceeded to call Travis Brown, who in turn pretty much sunned him on Twitter, <laughs> and um, put pretty much put any any notion that that fight would happen into the ground. What did you think of Rothwell's performance and him calling out Travis Brown? Well, unless he wants to be concussed, I wouldn't call out Travis Brown. <laughs> Rothwell. Um, TRT did him really well because uh, this is the best he's looked in the UFC. Uh, he's looked horrible in almost all of his fights, even the ones he won. Um, and then he got TRT and looked good. And it also helps that he was fighting Brandon Vera, who is clearly a 205er, who decided to move up to heavyweight for I don't know what reasons. Seriously. Um, he should be fighting at 205, yeah. and he always looks under. He, lo- he looks small against some of those dudes that he's fighting. Yeah, I mean, he, he looked miniature against Ben Rothwell. 
did okay, but at some point Ben Rockwell was going to hit him and and have far more power. So, um, yeah, uh, Ben Rockwell did what he was, he, he was supposed to do. I don't think he has a chance in hell against Travis Brown. But, um, yeah, Ben Rockwell did what he was supposed to do. Um, I think this is another case of TRT helping someone who is at the ripe old age of 31 get more testosterone. <laughs> you know, you know the, the the TRT debate, and we've talked about that at length, is always such a questionable subject because it's something where, you know, you got these doctors, they're like, yeah, you know, this guy needs TRT, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it, it's just, um, you know, it's weird to me that these guys, like you said, at the at the ripe age of, of you know, 31 or 32 they got to go on TRT. It's like, dude, don't get don't get me wrong. I, you know, I'm 33. I feel my testosterone levels are very high. I work out hard, you know. I'm ho- hopefully making kids in the near future. You know, it it is what it is. Like it it trips me out how some of these guys are like, "Yeah, I got to go on a TRT exception." And they're like 30. Like they're younger than me. I'm like, "Yo, what the hell are you guys doing?" Food for thought. Todd Duffy has a TRT exception. Yeah, exactly. Todd Duffy has a TRT yeah, exception. That guy. It's insane. Yeah. Well, so, I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I was I was shocked with the outcome of this fight. Clay Guida, Chad Mendes. Mendes with the TKO on Guida, who's known for his granite chin. I pretty much jumped out of my seat. I was like, holy shit! Because you know, it, it it's like it's like when Nate when Nate Diaz got knocked out. I, I, you don't expect that because these are durable dudes. But I'm telling you, these guys at, at Team Alpha Male with Dwayne Ludwig, man, they're they're becoming animals over there. Yeah, Dwayne Ludwig is is, is very uh, very good coach. You can you can see in all his fighters except Uriah Perry because his fights haven't really lended themselves to his striking game. But and Joseph Benavidez and and Chad Mendez and um, there was another one that I can't think of his name, but. You you see in these these uh these team alpha male guys that striking is so much better and Chad Mendes has 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 um benefited the most from him. um knocking out Clay Guida I thought he was gonna beat Clay Guida he's better at, at everything he's better at everything that Clay Guida does well and so I thought he was gonna beat him anyway but um yeah for him to knock him out he looked really really good um I don't know what they're doing with Jose Aldo um you know. The fight against Anthony Pettis is is on the the table, you know. There's a whole uh, fighting uh, the other guy, Ricardo Lamas. Yep. So you know, I, I don't know what they're gonna do with him, but I would I would love to see Chad Mendes fight Ricardo Lamas, and I'd love and honestly, yeah, I think you would have to fight Ricardo Lamas first before you give him Jose Aldo again, just because Jose Aldo embarrassed him. But you know, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see that. I think you know what the what the crazy thing is like when when Nate Diaz got knocked out you came on you came on and we were both like holy shit you know and same yeah. thing same thing in 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 the instance with um with Clay Guida cuz that's a guy and it's not even to say oh you know Clay Guida didn't follow game plan or or you know the typical the typical bullshit because he got caught coming in you know, it yep. wasn't it wasn't I mean, like Clay Guida fought fought an, a, a non intelligent fight. On the contrary, Clay Guida fought a very smart fight, and he just got caught out there. But he got 
the 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 statement out of this entire fight was the fact that Mendy's TKO'd Clay Guida, and he's the first person to do it. Yes, I mean he. I've seen Clay Guida get robbed, but I've never seen him get knocked out. And Trav Mendes was uh, showed that he has obscene power for one forty five. Yes, sir. So let's talk about Josh Barnett separating Frank Mir from his consciousness. Um, I'm 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 a big fan of the War Master, not even just because of his Japanese wrestling that he always does for New Year's, but which I'm sure Dana White is not going to let him do that shit anymore. Uh, you know, it's. <laughs> I really was shocked that it didn't go to the ground because, but but I but I kind of figured they were going to stand and bang only because these guys every they they spent the entire build up saying yeah we're going to go to the ground we're going to go to the ground I said these guys are full of shit. And they're just going to come in there and slug it out because they know if it goes to the ground, somebody's getting injured for life. Period. <laughs> like, they respect I, I each other that much. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't shocked at all, honestly, by how this fight goes. Frank Mir, there's a book out on Frank Mir. If you can hit him in the face, you're probably going to knock him out. If you press him against a cage and hit him in the face, you're going to knock him out. Josh Barnett clearly watched the Shane Carlin fight or the Brock Lesnar fight or the Junior Dos Santos fight or even the Daniel Cormier fight and was like, huh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put him against the fence and hit him. And he knocked him out. I don't know why Frank Mir got up like he was all like, oh, I wasn't hurt. He was very, very hurt when he got that knee. Uh, was he out when he hit that knee? No, but he he was very, very hurt. All that was going to happen was he was going to get hit more and more and more. Yeah, everybody, everybody, I mean, Dana White was went on Twitter, and he was like, yeah, fucking ridiculous stoppage, blah, 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 you know, and I'm like, it, it's such, it was such, such a close, like, I watched the fight on two different occasions, and I watched it in slow-mo, and that knee was flush, dude, he was out, he flopped, yeah, he, he hit the out. floor, and then he popped back up, but still, a flash KO is still a KO, that was momentary yeah. loss of consciousness. Any way you slice it, all that's going to happen is you're going to keep getting hit. I mean, if, if that, if that, I understand in MMA you're supposed to get you know more of a chance to to fight through things. You know, uh, I'm a big boxing fan, and a lot of times they don't get a huge chance. They get knocked down like that. They don't get that chance to fight through things. Problem with that is sometimes these are really large men. You do not want Josh Barnett to just continuously beat in. Frank Mir's head, who probably already has got some kind of brain damage from being knocked out a bunch of times. That's what I'm Stop saying. Like yep, I agree. I agree with you 100. percent It's true. It's like it's like yo, you got dropped. Barnett is a vicious dude, a vicious animal of a dude. Let's let it go. And we're and we'll be talking about Frank Mir later on in the segment too, based on an announcement that I found out about before we went on air. I just saw it. Yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking. about. Yes, sir. I just saw it like. So, your boy, Showtime, master of the Showtime kick, Anthony Pettis, submission, Tony. bendo, first round armbar, ridiculous, ridiculous the way that went. Exactly. Um, it, uh, I was surprised that it got into that fair. I actually, I expected uh, Anthony Pettis to win. Um, I kind of felt like he, he had a, a I kind of felt like he had Ben Henderson's number. I, I kind of felt like the way Ben Henderson had been fighting, um, even before he, he took this more defensive back away and kick you to the legs and the body kind of defensive squeak-out fights kind of mentality, 
even when he was a straight offense, I kind of felt like Anthony Pettis had the game to beat him. Um, this fight showed that. Like I said in my breakdown, Vincent Henderson pressed him up against Cage, tried to do that. As soon as there was space, Anthony Pettis started kicking him. And he was visibly hurt by those kicks to the body. And that's supposed to be on the safe side of your body, not where your kidney or um, your kidney is, or liver shot, excuse me. So he's getting kicked in that side of his body, and you can see it visibly hurts him. The only reason that fight even went to the ground is because Anthony Pettis decided to do a Caparera kick, missed, and I, I, I'm sorry for whoever. Eventually, he's going to hit somebody with that Caparera kick. Yep, it's coming, and dude. I can't wait to see that. Eventually, somebody's going to get hit with that. But um, he tried that, missed, got taken to the ground, instantaneously went for an arm bar, apparently has broke Ben Henderson's arm, uh, which speaks to just how tight that arm bar was. Um, at first, I didn't even know what was going on. Um, cause I was at a bar when I watched it and, um, even with the sound on, like you just see Benson Henderson just kind of raise up and Anthony Pettis jump up all excited. I'm like, what, what just happened? And, you know, he, he verbally tapped. Uh, it was, it was very quick and I kind of feel a bit sorry for Benson Henderson cause now he's going to get stuck in that John Finch limbo where he's not going to, as long as Anthony Pettis has a title, he's not giving him a title shot. Uh, you can't lose to somebody twice in the fashions he lost to him, and then, then be able to build you up as a, a viable challenger now. You got Showtime kicking, you got your arm broken. Like, there's not, we can't build you back up like that. Well, I think a couple of things. First of all, Benson Henderson shouldn't have braided his hair because, you know, he's like Samson, <laughs> lost all his power when he did that shit. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Dude, you got to come down. in there, Clay Guida-style hairdo, you know, black Jesus, doing what you got to do. But, um... Honestly, like you said, I think I think Pettis had scouted him out, knew his weaknesses, and I just felt watching the fight like Benson Henderson wasn't his usual self. Like you know, I, like you notice when he came into the cage, he got searched. They wanted to make sure he didn't have the toothpick or any of that craziness. Like you could see that something he was missing something. I don't know if it might have been just something psychological or or something, but I just I just felt that we weren't getting. Benson Henderson at 100%, not taking anything away from Showtime because an armbar is an armbar and breaking an arm is breaking an arm. But it, it, didn't you get the vibe that just something was missing? There wasn't that magic there. I kind of feel like he, with Anthony Pettis, he kind of feels, the, the, the way I, I've, I've read, heard multiple interviews and read a couple things, he seemed to not want this fight at all. Like, he didn't want to fight Anthony Pettis again. And I kind of feel like it's, it was this psychological thing with him. Like, he embarrassed me so badly the first time he fought. Like, I don't want to fight him again. And I kind of feel like that, that extra confidence that he kind of has normally when he goes into fights, um, he didn't have it in this fight. And, I mean, and to be perfectly honest, I mean, maybe if the fight had gone on longer, I mean, the fight only went on for, what, two or three minutes? If the fight had gone on longer, it had played out over five rounds, maybe we would have seen that confidence come out or maybe we would have seen, you know, certain things come out. But we didn't get a chance to see that because he got finished so quickly. But he didn't seem as confident as he normally seems. Right. Well, looking at it looking at it from the standpoint that, that you've broken it down and, and how I feel about it, where, where, where would Benson Henderson go from here to where he can, he can get himself – back in the title picture who i mean give me give me two guys who you could probably want to see him fight before he gets back in the title picture 
Um, I maybe have a fight maybe Donald Cerrone again. Yep, that's um, I really is. enjoyed their fights. Or um, maybe Gray Maynard. Ugh. I don't know. I mean, because you, you really can't <laughs> give him. You really can't give him someone who's in direct contention because he won't be in contention. Right, like, right, you right. You don't want to give him one that if he beats them, that he gets into contention. Like because simply because he's not getting another title shot as long as Anthony Pettis has the title. You can't give him one because there's no way to tell that story now. So or tell a story where he could possibly beat him. Um, what about a Frankie Edgar fight? So. I, uh, Frankie's a 145er now, and I wouldn't be surprised if Frankie at, at some point in the near future drops to 135. Um, so, I don't know, maybe Gray Maynard, maybe maybe give him Jamie Varner again. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be just WC guys. I don't know. I mean, uh, Gray Maynard, I, th- I think a very good fight for him would be Gray Maynard. First of all, because I think he beat the hell out of Gray Maynard. And second of all, um, I mean, what the hell is Gray Manor doing with his time? Uh, after he got knocked out of the grant, if he's not doing Shit. anything, he hasn't retired, so might as well give him a fight. So, is it is it wrong that I say I kind of want to see Bendo at one seventy? I think he's too small. Like he's a huge one fifty five er, but I think he'd be a really small one seventy pounder. I don't know, man. One seventy pounder coming in there, two hundred pounds. I hear you, man, but you know, this was this was the same guy who was talking about doing a super fight with GSP at 170, you know, and it got me thinking. I think he was just talking out of his ass. I, I don't think he was. <laughs> yeah, I think he was just talking out of his ass. I mean, GSP comes in the cage about 190-something. Yeah, like, I, I, just, I just think he would be way too small. And he's young, too. I mean, I, you know what it is? I feel that at one at 155, there's just... There's I, I don't I don't want to say that there's nothing left for him at 155, but any fight that he fights outside of you know Showtime, um, maybe Donald Cerrone, it, 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 I just feel it would be fucking boring, dude. I mean, <laughs> is that wrong of me to say? I don't know about boring. I, I think it'd be boring from the fact that he probably mauled mostly. Like he probably like like he was when he was building to the, he mauls guys that aren't top level dudes. Like right. he mauled Clay Greedy, he mauled like he mauled dudes that aren't top level dudes. So there'd be a lot of maulings, um, because I, I, just, I just think he's so much better than a lot of these dudes. I mean, he technically is, as far as champions go, the second best lightweight champion ever, as far as defenses go. So uh, I don't know who you give him because you can't give him someone so far out of contention that it he beats the hell out of him, but you can't give him someone in contention because I mean he's not going to get a contentious fight. So I don't know. They, I, I'm sure the UFC is going to figure something out, but I, I don't. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> well, it's it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Of course, we know we're going to talk about um, Showtime's next opponent later on in the segment. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to switch gears and jump into this uh, Ultimate Fight Night 28, and um, I'm not going to go through the whole card because we, we everybody knows what the fuck happened. But I want to talk about um, Sapo taking on. Terrible. Tor Tronig, because that was a uh, holy cow. Those dudes were fighting with bad intentions. There was an extreme amount of violence in that fight. Yeah, uh, Tor Tronig uh, took a lot of damage. Um, um, Sapo Natal. Um, I mean, for someone that I at one point thought was going to get cut from UFC, he has put on. 
he has put together a pretty good uh, record in the UFC. Uh, you know, he's not fighting the top tier 185ers, but he's fighting good 185ers. Uh, Tortron took a lot of damage in that fight, and it was, it was a good fight. It was a very good fight. Yeah, I was I was impressed, and I was just like, "Holy cow, these guys are beating each other to death!" <laughs> like, I was, like I was just like, "What?" Like, it, you get to the point where people on Twitter are like, "Holy cow, can 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 somebody just end it already, please, please, just 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 for their long term health, can someone end this?" Yeah, it was it was a very that was a very very good fight. And then, of course, after that, we got one. Kimura submission victory from Piotr Hallman, and then Joe Benavidez killed Juicier Formiga in the first round. It was just, it was crazy because, you know, Formiga threw that spinning kick, and Benavidez cracked him with that right hand, and it was lights out. I was like, oh my God. It just, in a blink of an eye, it was over. I feel bad kind of for Formiga um, because they did him no favors with his first two UFC matchups. Nope. It was John Dotson and Joseph Benavides, yep. possibly the second and third best flyweights on the planet. Um, no, not even possibly, the second and third best flyweights on the planet. Um, just here for me, at one time, I was the best flyweight on the planet, but uh, or considered the best. Um, yeah, Joseph Benavides has looked really good. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing he's going to be the next up for Demetrius Johnson because I don't know who else you give him right now because for some reason the UFC just doesn't sound flyweights. I don't understand that logic, but um, I guess he'll, he'll be the next up uh, for a title shot against Demetrius Johnson. He looked good. Um, I don't think he beats Demetrius Johnson, but uh, I think he'll give him some trouble. He looked good. I don't know, man. These alpha male guys. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like I would, I would have, I, I would have agreed. Going a lot like the first one. What was that? I just see the second fight going a lot like the first one. I, I would have said that if it wasn't a, a change in coaching and a change in strategy. Not to say that Mighty Mouse is, is no slouch, but I think that people are starting to really get hip to his game a little bit. I think it'll be more competitive. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, true. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. We we I, I, I don't know. Like the, the problem with Demetrius Johnson that hurts him, and I think at some point as a champion is going to hurt him, is he doesn't have any? He could finish you, like he he finished John Moraga, but it takes work. He doesn't have that one punch yep. or super duper jujitsu skill to finish you instantaneously. He's a grinder. He's a fast paced grinder, and though that is really good, um, if you have a person like John Dawson who almost who almost beat him, um, or a Joseph Benavides, those dudes have that power to knock you out. Right. Um, if those dudes, you know can win like three rounds against him, I don't see him coming back right. from those three rounds because he has to grind it out. So I don't know. I think it'd be a good fight though. I think the analogy I like to use with Demetrius Johnson, especially because he's a gamer is, is he likes to use chip damage. Like when you're playing street fight and you got like a small bit of health left and the dude keeps using jabs and foot sweeps. That's him. He's <laughs> chip damage guy. He is the guy that would just keep, bit by bit by bit wearing you down and he, and he gets the fights but then you know he's not he's going to go in there with guys that you know like you said like John Dotson Joe Benavides these are these are guys with with KO power not to say that Demetrius Johnson can't develop that but in every fight he has he's he uses he's chip damage guy it's not like people come in and they go 
yo, he's, he, may, he may catch me with that right hand and put me to sleep. Nobody worries about that. That's why guys go in there and they just slug it out. They go to war with him because they, they, they just know. I'm not saying that he's got pillow hands, but I'm just saying that guys know that they could go in there and exchange, and if their jaw is pretty good, they'll be all right. Like, he hasn't made yeah, nobody I respect mean, his hands yet, and that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he still, though he doesn't have that one punch tail power, I, he still uh, is very good at making you look really bad. If yes, sir. <laughs> you're not prepared for what he's doing to you. So, um, I don't know. I, I think that second, if whenever the second fight occurs, if it's a fight that's going to occur, I think it'll be um, a good fight. Well, one thing that's kind of jumped out is the fact that um, a guy whose hands have improved tremendously, Jacare, TKO's Yushin Okami of all guys. If it's serious, serious case going on at 185, Jacare definitely puts himself up there. What do you think? Um, I would love to see him fight Chris Wyman. I know he wouldn't fight Nancy Silva, but I, I love to see him fight Chris Wyman. Also, I find it funny that he only threw one punch. He 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 literally just kept doing that same punch over and over, and I don't understand why Yushinokami didn't realize that at all. Yep. He just threw the overhand right over and over and over and over and over again, and Yushinokami just kept getting hit by it. Uh, John Ray has done a improved his boxing a lot. Um, I still kind of am worried what happens when he gets hit on the chin. Uh, John Ray's losses have come from when someone touches his chin, he reacts like a nuclear bomb went off. So I'm curious to see what happens if someone is able to put a hand to his chin. But if if you're not able to do that, um, he's going to embarrass you. <laughs> Jack Ray is very good. Uh, he's now good on the feet and on the ground. He's just not even a comparison with most guys. Can he Can he run on a tear like Anderson Silva has? I don't think so just because his chin is so... I mean, until I see him be able to take a punch and not, like, crumble, because in the past, like, when he lost to um, Gegard Mousasi, dominating that fight, gets hit, crumbles. He if did. he's fixed that in some way, I think he'd be able to go on a decent run. I don't think he's as good as, a, uh, as, as anywhere near as great as a striker is, as uh, Anderson Silva is, but his ground game and his wrestling game uh, make him, I mean, a really scary guy. I would love, like I said, I would love to see him fight Chris Wilder because I think that fight would be absolutely amazing. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see. Um, I'll be interested to see who they give him next. Yeah, if you had to give him, if you had to give him one more fight at eighty five, who would you give him before um, a title shot? Vitor's moving up two or five, right? Yeah, the fight didn't end. Um, yeah, but, but Vitor, fucking, this is Vitor. <laughs> like yo, come on, dude. Yeah, keep people. <laughs> he'll fight Jacare um, in Brazil. <laughs> yeah, he'll fight you in Brazil. He'll fight you in America, where he's got steroid suspensions and crap that he's had before. But um, I'm trying to think. Because dude, to beating Yushin is big, like dude. Yeah, maybe like a Costa. Well, maybe a Costa Filavu. Maybe a. Uh, Maybe a um, I'm trying to think who else is winning fights at one eighty five right now. Um, yeah, maybe a Costa Phillip or somebody like that, or maybe having to do a rematch with uh, Luke. Uh, if Luke wins 
I haven't even seen him get a, yep. another fight yet, but Luke uh, g- gives them a rematch. If he, if he has to win his next fight, but give him a rematch. I, I think that would be a fight. Well, um, this dude, um, Cuban dude, he dropped to 170, right? Mm-hmm. He did, right? The Cuban dude. Uh, yeah, Lombard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Hector Lombard, thank you. Yeah, yeah. see, I would I would have done Jacare and, and Lombard. That would have been a badass fight, dude. Because that would have yeah, te- that would have but... tested your theory. Okay. What happens when you when a nuclear bomb gets detonated on the side of your face? <laughs> yeah, yeah that that would that would that would that would be the fight that would let me know like okay maybe he's ready to continue. But um, you know we'll we'll see. I I, I think I, I don't know who they give him that. Maybe Michael Bisping. Maybe I don't know. Bisping, I wouldn't mind. Bisping could sell that fight too. Bisping start talking shit. He yeah, could I think, sell it. I think Michael Bisping, that actually sounds like the best one, Michael Bisping. A Bisping, I haven't seen Bisping's mat mat game in a while, dude. Bisping is all stand up lately. It doesn't matter what his mat game, but he would get drug on the ground. It, it <laughs> he would have to keep that feet up, fight on the uh, standing up. It doesn't matter what his MMA mat game. He he get drug on the ground. So, <laughs> well. One one guy one guy who probably doesn't even want to talk about what went on this week is Ryan Bader, since Glover Teixeira pretty much put himself in title contention, destroying Darth Bader and you know just crumpling him. I was like, oh my god, yeah, from full guard no less. And it was funny too because Bader looked good, man. It wasn't like he looked shitty. Teixeira wasn't hearing it though. Yeah, um, you know Bader Bader looked good. Um, uh, Glover Teixeira did what Glover Teixeira does. Uh, my problem with Glover Teixeira is um, this hype train they got going for him. He hasn't beat a top ten light heavyweight ever, and he's been rocked by two far lesser light heavyweights, Alexander Gustafson and John Jones would maul uh, Glover Teixeira. That. Yeah, you need more people at light heavyweight to fight the winner of that fight, which is going to be John Jones, but the winner of their that title fight. Um, but you kind of want them to, I don't know, be a real challenge because I, I don't see Glover. I don't see what Glover Teixeira could do to either one of them because they're the. Um, I mean, John Jones doesn't get credit for it a lot, but he's an excellent defensive fighter because you rarely ever see him get actually hit. Same thing with well, Gustafson gets hit more, but I just I just don't see Glover Teixeira being able to beat either one of them at all. Well, that fight the 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 possibilities of that fight will be going down very shortly because September has been a tremendous month for MMA. Of course, the uh, the Jones fight September twenty first, so he's not going to have to wait long to figure out who his opponent's going to be. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm almost 100 percent sure he'll be the next person. I mean, unless Daniel Cormier actually, you know, decides to drop to 205 and stop talking about it. Yeah, well, I have I have something to discuss (laughs) with regards to Daniel Cormier, and I'm going to get into the whole 205 thing later on. But um, let's talk let's talk Ultimate Fighter first season, Mm -hmm. ton of awesome fights, history being made, men and women in the house, two female coaches that legitimately hate each other on some Tito and Ken Shamrock levels. Um. 
it, you know, even though the ratings were low, I think part of it is because, you know, Fox Sports 1 is still gaining traction. But mm-hmm. a solid a solid start, man. All the fights to get into the house were on point. What'd you think? Um, I thought it is I thought it was good. Um like like last season, I, I like this new format. I like the new way it's been sh- being shot. Um Um, I thought it was good. Um I thought the women looked good. Um especially having girls on there like Shannon Baszler and Roxanne Montefiore um get into the house. Um I thought I have not heard of a single one of the dudes on there. Which actually surprised me, but uh, you know maybe maybe they'll be um, you know really good. The only no, um, the only dude off of that list I know about was Cody Bollinger. You know what? I have heard that name before, and I cannot remember where I've heard Cody Bollinger. Before. I think it was Strike Force Bellator. He he might have fought in one of those. I, I I have no idea, but like I was just watching the dudes. I was like, I don't know who any of you are. But um, yeah, um, I think um, it's a one. The, I think it's going to be a good season. Um, I kind of think the the way it's being shot kind of makes Ronda seem like she's angry all the time. Yep. And I I don't know if that's on purpose. Oh, she not. said something about that in an interview. It, it, it's on purpose. It, it's like um like the first like when they were just all sitting at the table, Ronda looked pissed off the entire time, and I highly doubt that's how her mood was the entire time. But um, yeah. So I don't know. Um, I, we'll have to see how the, the show plays out. I, I kind of get the feeling they're gonna paint Ronda as a bad guy. Um, I could see that. On the first episode, huh? I could see that. I I definitely agree. Yeah. So just from the first episode, it, it seems like they were trying to make it a petty, the one who's being petty or whatever. So I, I don't I don't I don't know how they're gonna play that out the rest of the season, but. Um, should be a good season. The the thing that kills me is is you know editing like a mofo, and you could see just just the it's not it's not for TV, folks. The beef between Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey is as real as can be. And the crazy thing is, we joke about it, but you know I I, I tell you know I tell my fiance I'm like, listen, all you women secretly hate each other. You all do, even when y'all friends, <laughs> y'all secretly hate each other. You do. It's just a fact of life. These chicks, their hate, they wear it on their sleeve. They wear it on their manicured nails. Like, yo, I hate this bitch is written on their nails. Because that's how that's how deep that, that how deep that beef goes. And the problem with that is that it's good and bad because obviously from a from a reality show standpoint, it's gonna fuel that fire. It's gonna get people tuned in. But the other thing is that that animosity that they have is gonna carry over to their fighters when they go into fights. Like people are gonna go in there trying to really put a hurting on each other, especially with the women. And again, it's not, it's not even talking about female stereotypes or whatever. It's like, Hey man, you know, this chick, she's my coach. She hates this other chick. Fuck it. I'm gonna hate that chick that I'm fighting too. You know, like it's, it's just something, you know, people feed off of negative energy, even if it's in an, in an inadvertent sense, you know, if you're in a room with a whole bunch of people that are pissed off, you're going to feel pissed off. It's just how it is. So you know, for Ronda, Ronda oh. hating this chick is gonna make that a, a, a catalyst. And e- even the way the trailer looked for the next episode, where it looks like somebody gets the boot, I'm like, damn! Already, what kind of crazy shit has been happening already? Yeah. Also, I kind of, I kind of feel like um, 
uh, well, not feel like, I find it very interesting that they're going to be training people that could be their future opponents. Yep. Not all these chicks are good enough to be their future opponents, but like Shayna Baszler, well, maybe not Shayna Baszler. Well, Shayna, Shayna Baszler, I was about to say, maybe not Roxanne Montefiore, but Shayna Baszler is a legit UFC caliber woman. Yep. Uh, you know, there's, there's a few of these girls that are legit UFC caliber fighters, and you're possibly training someone that you're going to eventually have to fight. I find that very interesting. Um, same thing with Brian Caraway being on the show and possibly training some dude. They could probably whip his ass. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, how this, this whole season plays out. I think, I think it'll be a good season. Well, the thing that gets me is, you know, Ronda picks first fight, so she, she made sure to throw Shayna Baszler to the Wolves right away with Juliana Pena. Um, Pena looked good in her fight. I definitely think that, um, you know, Pena, Pena got the victory and of course, Misha Tate trained with her, so mm-hmm. y- you know Ronda's trying to go for the jugular immediately. Shanna Baszler's going to tap that girl very quickly. Shanna Baszler is not. <laughs> Shanna Baszler is legit UFC level. Shanna Baszler is one of the best women in the world. Like, it, I would be shocked if she didn't tap her within three minutes. Yeah, um, it's gonna, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be crazy. And the storytelling yeah. was there. You know, they were like, oh, Juliana Pena, she trained with Misha Tate. And I said, oh, they gave up that nugget of information. Ronda's going to make sure to throw that chick in front of the meat grinder first. Yeah. I mean, she she saw how excited she was when she won. She's like, oh, well, ain't going to see that no more. Yeah, <laughs> enough of that. But <laughs> get her tapped out quick. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what was funny? We'll Jessamine, Jessamine Duke isn't bad either. I, I, I think Jessamine Duke fought an Invicta, if I remember correctly, because I remember seeing her fight. So, you know, I uh, you know Ronda, Ronda's got some hitters in there. Yeah, there's a bunch of these girls. In fact, a bunch of them were on that Invicta card that lost a bunch of fights um, all of a sudden. Yes. Um, the, a lot of these girls were fighting on that card. Right. So, um, yeah, a lot of these girls are, are, are Invicta caliber fighters and now UFC caliber fighters. Yeah, it's going to be a great season, and of course, history was made because shortly before this episode aired, it was announced that Ronda and Misha will be in the UFC game. Yeah, um, I hope they do a whole women's division. It would be pointless to just have them just to fight each other a bunch of times. Yeah, so I, I think they'll add some other ones. And then do, do the whole create a player when you can have a, create a girl and all that. Um, it will be pointless. Like, the Supremacy game had, like, three chicks. Like, that's pointless. Like, <laughs> Let's not even but, talk uh, about that Supremacy game, dude. I I, rev- I got that from Gamefly. I reviewed it, and I'm like, can I just get this this last three hours of my life back that I've played this fucking game? Yeah, the, the game's horrible. I, I, I uh, played it for, like, 10 sec- uh, like ten minutes, and I was like, yeah, I'm never, never again. All right, um, well, <laughs> which which was worse, the Bellator Xbox Live game or that game? They were like the same thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think they were made by the same. Yeah, they actually. were. They were made by the same company. Uh, yeah, they're they're both terrible. Um, Bellator could have had a better made game, so I have to say the Bellator game just for for laziness. <laughs> Pay somebody to make a better damn game. Why would you? Why would you do that? Yep, that's what but, happens. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah. Hopefully. First of all, the new UFC game, the little bit that we've seen looks excellent. I don't know how all of that's going to be controlled because they, 
they're letting you do a lot, and I don't know how you can control all that shit, but um, um, jumping off the cage and everything. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm really interested to see how that game turns out. Oh yeah, we have till spring 2014, but I'm sure we'll be getting stuff in between, and of course, you know, we'll review it when it drops. Yes, sir. All right, so the rest of the MMA news this week. Let's talk. Let's talk about your your, your boy DC talking about Ray Nelson's hair and beard at the Q&A. Now, it might have just been a well-orchestrated troll job or not, but I'm like, I'm like, really, dude? You, you bitching about the dude's beard and his hair? Who gives a shit? No, you're, fight, you're fighting a guy that can knock you out on your feet and choke you out on the ground. I don't care if he looks like a chubby Paul Bunyan. I don't give a shit. You gotta give the guy some respect. Like, like I like DC, but he's really not giving Roy Nelson his are they, just due. Are they? Are they legit fighting? Yep, legit fighting. That's bad, Roy. Uh, Roy Nelson is a decent fighter, but we saw in his last fight against Stipe Miocic, you just avoid that overhand right. He's just going to get real tired and look terrible. Yeah, but you he know what it is. No, I mean, I mean, I I understand where you're coming from, but you got to look at it from the standpoint of DC is still a smaller dude. You know, he's a he's a smaller dude. Roy Nelson is Roy Nelson, and make make whatever case you want. Roy Nelson's fists put people to sleep. You know, I mean, Frank Mir is bigger than Roy Nelson. Like Roy Nelson's just fat. Like right, I, I see what you're saying, but Roy Nelson's just fat. Like right. Frank Mir is two hundred fifty something pounds built. And DC like handled him. Like I don't think he's gonna have really any trouble with Roy Nelson. I don't, and I don't think he's overlooking him. I think he's just talking. And also, I think Roy Nelson has said some stupid shit himself. Like, oh yeah, of course, the old Uncle Tom comment. Yeah, the Uncle the, Tom uh, comment. I'm shocked didn't get him suspended, dude. I am super yeah, shocked. Yeah, the whole he made a comment that DC is protecting uh, Kane Kane Velasquez from other fighters. I'm like, what? That doesn't even what. You know what? Yeah. The the thing the thing is with these guys, and and they and they both have valid points. The pro, the thing with Roy Nelson that 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 uh, bothers me, and it doesn't even bother me, is that he is blatantly anti-establishment. You see that lumberjack beard doesn't cut his hair, doesn't give a shit. But as long as he keeps going in there and smashing dudes and tapping dudes out, you can't tell the guy nothing. You know what I mean? And I think that's one reason why they're putting him in there with DC because Dana White is in that mindset like, yo, I got to get rid of this dude. Got to get rid of him. I can if he keeps winning. Hopefully this guy will get the job done, you know? Well, I mean, if he really wanted to cut him, well, he didn't even have to cut him. Uh, he didn't have a contract after the Steve B. Miocic fight. He could have just simply been like, well, we're not giving you another contract. Like, I don't think Dana dislikes him. or Well, no, Dana dislikes him. But I don't think Dana wants to get rid of him because he simply he could. I think this whole DC fight, you know, is from their back and forth, the whole Uncle Tom comment, all this stupidity. Roy Nelson asked for title shots when he clearly doesn't deserve a title shot. Um, you, you know, it's it. I don't want to say that viewing it as a squash match for DC, but um. This is as close as you'll get in your mate. I don't see how Roy Nelson wins this fight outside of landing that punch and 
if anyone wants to see Pit Miocic fight, you know how to avoid that punch. You just make them chase you. Right, but for argument, tired. For, for argument's sake, say Roy Nelson beats him soundly. What happens then? <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like give him another fight. Like, Roy Nelson is nowhere near a title shot. Like he, like, he just give him another fight. I mean, I hung. I would be absolutely shocked if that happened because I don't think there's any way it can outside of him DC getting sloppy and him landing that punch. But I mean, um, he could tap him though. It is he could. When's the last time you saw Roy Nelson try to tap somebody? Oh yeah, I know, I know that because his stand up is the, is is that solid. But people have have forgotten about his legit Brazilian jiu jitsu background. I'm not saying that's going to be a factor. Stand up, actually. I don't want to sound like I'm just hating on Roy Nelson, but I'm like, his stand up is not actually that good. It's one punch. Oh yeah, well, oh, like if his stand up was really really good, he would have been able to cut off the cage against Cipri Miocic. Move up, uh, kind of lead him into that punch. Once you avoid that punch, he had nothing else at all. He was done. Roy Nelson is Tank Abbott if he actually applied himself in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sad but that, true. That sounds about right. <laughs> Sad but true. I mean, I want to see it because yeah. I like DC, but it's like, dude, you're talking about 205, 205, 205. Go to fucking 205, dude. Like, you didn't even have to take this heavyweight fight. You could have gone to 205 and fought Rashad and made a case for yeah, yourself. I, you yeah, know, I've kind of gotten tired of hearing him talk about going to 205. Seriously, like, dude. I, I agree with John Jones. Like, if you're going to do it, just do it. Like, stop stop saying you're going to do it and just do it if you're going to. Like, like not for nothing. You know, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Dude, Chael is fighting Rashad. And Chael doesn't need to do that fucking fight. Let's be real. No. Chael don't need to do it, but he's doing it because he Chael doesn't give a fuck. You know what I mean? And he know. And I like the way he did it too. He's like, "Yo, Rashad, you want to have this fight?" Rashad's like, "Fuck it, you know, let's do it." Because that's how it's supposed to be. Don't don't sit there. Yeah, I'm gonna go to 205. Yo, just go in there and fight. Because honestly, don't get me wrong. I think Chael and Rashad is gonna be is gonna be bananas. Either way you slice it. Because Rashad is great hands, super athletic, great wrestling. Chael's wrestling is, we we know where Chael's wrestling is. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, yo, DC, you could have gone down to 205. You could have got a nice payday match with Chael or with Rashad. Because not for nothing, would you want to see DC and Chael? Yeah, I'd, I'd watch DC and Chael. At 205? DC at 205. If he could get to 205, I'd gladly watch him fight at 205. I question if he can actually do it. Like, True. Like, I would, if, if, I kind of feel like if he could actually do it, he would have done it by now. He better call Mike like, Dolce. I kind of feel like, <laughs> what now? I said call up Mike Dolce and stop playing. Yeah, like, I, I, just, I just don't think he can actually do it. And if he can, cool. But... He needs to go ahead and do it. I mean, it's not like he's getting any younger. He needs no, to go sir. ahead and get it out the way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, it's it's craziness. I um I wanted to talk about Kid Yamamoto. He's out of that fight with Ivan Menjivar. Wilson Rice is going to be replacing him for UFC 165. Um, obviously Jones, Gustafson, and Baron Weiland are going to be problems. I think um Matt Mitrione 
and Brendan Schaub is 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 is, is going to have a highlight reel finish. Somebody's going to sleep. Probably going to be Brendan Schaub. Brendan Schaub did it absolutely terrible. Poor bastard. Uh, but uh, yeah. Um, I, I completely forgot that fight. That fight was supposed to happen like months ago, wasn't it? Yep, injuries plagued that fight. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um. It should be a good fight. You know what the problem is, dude? That fight, that card, minus the interim and the light heavyweight title fights, I just don't feel mm. it's a sixty dollar card. Am I wrong? For what's talking about? Um, For one sixty-five. Um, I mean, oh, I'm about because I'm actually looking at the card now. Um, well, there's some fights on here I like. Um, but is it sixty dollars though? Like legitimately? The problem, I, I mean, Haley's like the problem. I see is 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 this like because they've had to put on so many damn fight cards within the last like two weeks. It's been like six. Yep. They don't have the fighters to fill these cars anymore, so like the the big cars don't seem to have as much pop now. So I mean I kinda feel what you're coming from with it not being a six dollar car, but you got two title fights and I think that's what they're gonna sell it on. Right, right, right. But that is what they're gonna sell. Um but I, no, I feel what you're coming from with it not about being really a uh six dollar worth card. Nah, I just I just wasn't feeling it. I mean, don't get me wrong, the title fights will be fine. But did but this is a card where I'm like like sometimes we talk about cards and you know about this. We go, we're like, yo, sixty bones, yeah, definitely give you take my money. This card, yeah. It's a it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, no, nah, I I I agree. <laughs> so I mean I, I really want to see it, but I, I completely agree. Yeah, that's 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 a, that's a bar card like we were talking about. That's you going to a bar yeah. and watching that. That's not you sitting home like, yo, take my money. That's you going to a bar like, yep, I'm here. I I, I walk into the bar at 1048. <laughs> you know? See, the, the final two fights, yep. That's it. Walk in there at 1048, <laughs> you know, quarter two, be good to go, and that's it. But um, switching gears, everybody was concerned that Anthony Pettis was going to be on the shelf for a while. Turns out he's got a um mm. a grade two knee sprain out seven or eight weeks, and TJ Grant is finally getting his fight. Finally. Good for TJ Grant. I th- I, though I think he's going to get yeah. <laughs> Um yeah. I, I, I Good for him. Um, you know, I, I feel like he's he, he one of them dudes that has clearly earned his title shot. Clearly, 100% earned his title shot. Beat top ten guys, beat them convincingly, knocked um, Gray Manor completely the hell out. So, um, yeah, good for TJ Grant. Um, I'm looking forward to that fight. Um, I'd be, I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I don't think he's gonna, I don't think he's gonna fare very well against Anthony Pettis, but I'm, I'm really interested to see how the fight goes. Oh, dude, Pettis, Pettis with that belt, man, he's not even playing right now. It's not even a question that he's gonna go in there and half step it. He's gonna, you're, 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 you're gonna see, you know, sonic booms, guile flip kicks, you know, who spirit bombs. He's not trying to lose that belt anytime soon after the shit he went to to finally get a belt. 
Yeah, and also, I, I absolutely love Anthony Pettis' view on fighting. Like, after he lost a Clay Guida fight, he said, I cannot, I can never let a fight go to the judges again. Yep. And for him to come in the fights and clearly has no intention of you surviving 15 or 25 minutes. Like, nope. he's trying to hurt you. But that's and, what I'm saying. If, if, if fighters come in there to 100% finish, like, I can understand if a dude is tough and you can't finish him. We've had that. But it's like you should never yeah. in a million years rely on the judges because if you think for one solitary second that a judge is going to sit there and even if you were the aggressor, the judge could just be in a foul mood that day and just be like, fuck it, he looked like shit, you know? And, and we've seen that happen. Yeah. We, we, we've seen multiple fights where one dude has clearly won and the judges saw something completely different. Nobody understands how they saw it, but they saw something completely different. Oh, why you, you never leave it in the judges. Absolutely <laughs> not. You can help it. La- last two bits of, bit of MMA news I wanted to go over with you. Um, <clears throat> of course, with um, GSP and Johnny Hendricks, that, that fight's going to be a problem. And like I said, Rashad is facing Chael at 205. I think besides this fight being contested at 205, which is nice, I, I, I'm curious, though, and this is what I had wanted to ask you. If Chael beats Rashad at 205, where the fuck does he go from there? Because it's like Rashad was a former title holder. Where does Chael go? Does he mm-hmm. go and fight? Does he go and fight, you know, like the loser of the Jones fight? I don't think they want to put Chael anywhere near anyone they're going to give a title shot. No, of course not. Like, but I'm saying, like, what are you going to do? Like, like Chael, Chael is going to always get you money fights. You know what I mean? Like, you got to look at, like, Chael's looking at it like, Fuck it, I'll take a fight in 170, I mean at 185 or 205 for the paydays. And maybe I'll get a title shot, maybe I won't. Like, you can see he's kind of, like the UFC's almost turned him into the the, the, the the box office draw without a belt. I feel like they're probably giving the Juan fight or, or, or something of that nature. Dude, I like, need I, that Juan see... fight. Need that fight. Yeah, like, I... <laughs> I don't think they even give him the loser of the Jones. First of all, by the off chance Jones wins, does anyone really want to see what John Jones does to Chelsea in a second time they fight after losing? No, it's true. It's true, but you know what? There, from a money stand, like 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 putting skills aside for a second, from a money standpoint, there's money to be made. Like John Jones at that point, yeah. they're like, if they were like John, you want to fight Chael again? John would just be like, fuck it, you know? Like, like I beat the dude, and, and don't get me wrong, he might say, yeah, it's an easy fight, it's a nice, easy payday, but fuck it, we'll sell it like, we'll sell it like a motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like, like that's what I'm talking about. Like, when you look at Chael, regardless of whether Chael is going to get a belt within the next five years or not, the guy, whether it's just the intangible of wanting to watch him fight or him selling the fight, dude, he could, he could, he could be fighting a wet paper bag. And you want to pay sixty dollars to either see the wet bag fuck him up or him kill the wet bag? It's just, it's just fact. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who you give Chell because, like I said, you don't want to give anybody directly in the stream of contention. Um, like I wouldn't give him like I wouldn't do like Chell and Bader because that's a fucking snooze fest. Like, like Bader can't sell that fight. Like Chael and Wand I mean, needs to happen. Chael needs to happen. Chael and Wand, or I don't know, Chael and Wand. 
Chael and Wand or Chael and DC? Chael and Vitor Belfort. If Belfort beats Dan Henderson, I'd, I'd give him Vitor Belfort. I'd take that fight too, but again, fucking Vitor, this is what pisses me off with Vitor. Dude comes out, yeah, Chael, son, and I want to fight you, but bloody fucking blind that it's like, Chael's like, all right, man, let's go. And he's like, uh, nah, I was just playing. Remember the last time we talked about that? He was all, he was all pissing vinegar. I want to fight Chael. And Chael's like, fuck it, let's go. And then he's like, nah, nah. I was just, you know, I was just saying. Also, I kind of feel like Vitor would be like, now nah, I want a title shot. Like, dude, John Jones embarrassed you. He beat the hell out of you for four rounds. You're not getting it. Like, John Jones don't be out here leaving people to to want to see you fight him again. Nope. <laughs> the only fight that people would probably take is the Chael fight because of the broken toe and the hype to build that fight. That's, that's it. it. And, and and that fight wasn't competitive at all. Nope. Like, but that's what I mean. Like, a like, broken toe and just a, a what-if scenario. Because it's like, yeah, what if the judges saw his toe was broke? If, you know what I mean? Like, like there's a lot of – there's that big cloud of what if from a from a booking standpoint. If you're a bookie in Vegas and you want to get paid, you can have some fun with that fight. You can make some good money because, you know, Chael, Chael isn't going to yield you shit. But, yeah, like, fuck it. What if? What if What if, what if I put $100 on this dude and get 10000 because he catches him, you know? Yeah. I mean, that that. That is the the way to go about that. But anybody else like Vitor, I don't want to see that fight, dude. I don't want a Vitor fight. I tell you what, though, if Hendo if Hendo beats Vitor, Hendo should get a title shot. Period. I would give Hendo. I would. I would just give it to him, like because because if he wins or loses, he'll retire, dude. Hendo, I think he's just having fun at this point. Yeah, for legacy purposes, I would give him. Yep. Just just. Because these are two great light heavyweights that are relatively well, I won't say Hendo. Hendo is no one near his prime anymore, but no. relatively near each other. That if he beats Vitor, I think you give it to him just to say that fight happened because I think exactly that will look good on either one of their resumes. Yep. Now and and you know it bugs think, Jones. It bugs Jones that he couldn't do that fight. You know he's probably like fuck, man. I really yeah, want to fight I, that I, dude. I, like, because um, there was some interview with John Jones said that like he would have loved to have fought Dan Henderson because that's a legacy fight that. You were beating one of the town town greatest fighters ever. You want to do that fight, so I think if he beats Vitor, if he beats Vitor soundly, emphatically, uh, if he knocks Vitor out, I think, which I would love, I think you give him John Jones and you do that fight before you do the Glover fight because I, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. I don't think anybody. Would fight, I'd, I'd, I'd 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 skip Glover. That fight. I'd skip I'd skip Glover. Glover. On the strength of giving Hendo that fight, out of respect for Hendo, like I'd be like, "Yo, Glover," yeah, I, like Dana White would be like, "Yo, Glover, you got it, dude. We're good." But like this, this fight, it needs to happen right now. It needs to happen. Yeah, like I, 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 yeah, that fight needs to happen. Um, and hell, John Jones will probably win the fight, and then you can still do the Glover fight. It's not like thank you. It's not like I mean they're probably going to keep feeding Glover dudes he can knock out. So it's not. And 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 for argument's sake, just to just to play devil's advocate, even if Hendo beat Jones, it's a great story. You know what I mean? Like the legend finally yeah. beats the, the the young lion, and, and there and the money in the rematch once again from a money standpoint, dude is is epic. Yeah, if if, if you if he, if he was to beat Jones, as unlikely as that is, if he was to actually win. 
then that would build an even bigger thing because then you have you. a rematch. You know, you can do, you can make all the money. It, it, it would it would end up making you a lot a lot of money. Because you know what it is, me and you, we talk about fights a lot and fights we want to see, but I'm starting to just look at fights also from fights that I want to see that aren't even fights that, that from a record standpoint, matter. It's just fights that are that are entertaining. Like like Vitor, like, not Vitor, like Wanda and Chael. Wanda, you know, Wanda and Chael can go in there and kill each other. But the buildup and the animosity would make me want to spend that money. Because, you know, yeah, Chael could probably go and, and powerbomb Vanderlei on his head, and that would be it. But the, the buildup of that, and the and as soon as that bell rings, you know Vanderlei's going to come in there like he did with Brian Stan on some, on some legit, I'm going to keep swinging to the fences till one of us is dead. Yeah. Because that, that's, that is how Juan fights, and um, it would look good. So, you know, um, I would love to, I really want to see that fight. I want to see the Juan versus... I tell you this though, I don't know if Chael's gonna be ready for him to come out and for him to stand in the middle of that cage and slug it out. Because you know, Chael likes to box and move around and and mix it up. And Vandalay's all about nah. We're gonna we're gonna just sit here and swing swords until somebody's dead. Like I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I think like, Chael would just take him down. Like I think Chael would just take him down as quickly as possible. Yep, because dude, you're, he's not sta- dude. He is not standing. I love Chael to death. He's an entertaining guy. You're not standing with Vandalay for that. You're not. Not doing it. And if he gets you in a clinch, you're not doing it. And that would suck for Chael, dude. After all the shit he's talked, if Vandalay beats that ass, it's going to be like, damn, dude. <laughs> yeah. He, he's probably just taking him down as quickly as possible. <laughs> so let's close it out with um, the Ream taking on Frank Mir at UFC 167. Um, you know, last time Overeem fought, you know, I didn't, I didn't get to have you on the show after that. I was so upset with the way he lost because the dude kept throwing the same shit at me. He's just like, yeah, I'm just going to walk into it. No, your jaw is suspect. What are you doing? Winning right up until the point he was losing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw Reem. Somebody's getting fired, though. Let's not even fuck around, dude. Somebody's done after this fight. I wouldn't be shocked that even if Frank Mir loses, I don't think Frank Mir gets cut. No, Frank, Frank Mir wouldn't get cut because he's a he's a lifer, dude. Like Frank Mir will probably retire in the UFC. Dane will give him a job just because. Yeah, he'll probably get some job and nothing. Yeah, like, for it. like, 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 dude, like, like, like uh, uh, he broke um, Nog's arm. You but, know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, yo, that's a highlight forever, dude. Yeah, like he, he's he's just gonna get a job doing nothing. But over it, over it might get fired though. Let's not even front. No, over it would. That's not even. That's not even a question. Over him will get fired, and Bellator will pick him up in a heartbeat and, and feed him cans. Yep, and feed him cans. <laughs> he'll they'll feed Overeem cans. He'll win the tournament. He'll take the belt, and then he's like, "Oh, I have gold." You know, like not even. I, dude, I love Overeem to death, but his losses make me so mad because it's like, yo. The dude is walking around. It's like, dude, you have a body built like Superman, and a dude breathes on you, and you go to sleep. Like it yeah, pisses he, me he, off uh, so he, much. He's always been shit. Yep. I mean, even when he was regular size over him before he was super ream, um, he always has just been a skinny dude. So, um, or not skinny, excuse me, a chinny dude. So, 
I think he can win this. I think he can win this fight easily if he if he watches some tape, clinches with Frank Mir, and you don't want to be in a clinch with Al Solari. Nope. Just do that. Well, dude, but when he was in a clinch in I his last fight, when he was in a in, in a clinch in his last fight, you know he was catching the dude, and you, we were just like, "Wow, that's really yeah, he was looking and right." If, and if that's Frank Mir, Frank Mir is like dead. Yeah, like if Frank that's Frank Mir, like there's not even there's not even a question. That fight is over. So if he fights like that, if he fights like that, I think he can win this fight very easily. Yeah, well, I mean. I'm just bummed because, like I said, Overeem is is a guy who, looking at him, you know, b- b- before we, we we close it up, you look at Overeem and you're like, oh, is this guy champion in some organization? Because you look at him, you're like, oh, this dude, you know, the scar on his face, everything works. Like you look at him, you're like, oh, this is a bad guy in a video game. Like John McClane should be fighting him in Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> hey, I mean, hey, I mean, I'm Overeem is a champion in Green, which I've don't think exist anymore. Barely. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I, no, I don't think Green exists at all. Anymore. Don't they do that? Who, or they, it didn't. Didn't um, Shinyaoki do that dream card for Christmas though? For New Year's. Dream. Was that Dream or was that? It was Dream in partnership with somebody. Was it Dream and Glory? It was dream and King One. Dream and. You know, it was Dream and Glory, Dream and Glory. Maybe maybe Dream still does it this kind of sorta. Of. A little bit. But yeah, he's he's their heavyweight champ. Hell, Gagar Masasi is their welterweight and I think they're welterweight and light heavyweight champion or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I believe so. I think, I think Gagar Masasi is holding all their belts or some crazy shit like that. <laughs> yeah, well Yes, Dream. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like like Alistair Overeem is you look at him, you see he has this incredible presence, like between you and I, dude, if Alistair Overeem got cut by the UFC, he should go into acting or some shit, dude. Because he'd be he'd be that dude that you walk in to fight the guy like Van Dam walks in to fight. Like he could be like Swedish Bolo. <laughs> yeah, Dutch I, I Dutch mean, Bolo. <laughs> he either needs to go into acting or try to find some uh, some kickboxing organization that'll pay him and keep him away from people that can hit him in the face. That's it. Because you go to Glory, there's this guy named Tyrone Spong that'll knock your ass out. Like, actually, no, that's thing they fought before, and I think Overeem actually beat him. But still, like, just go back to kickboxing full time or something. Yeah, it's unfortunate, man. Because yeah, and and it makes me wonder. It's like it's like, yo, what if he wouldn't have beaten Brock Lesnar? Let's say, what if Brock Lesnar would have caught him with a canned ham to the face? It's like, would Brock Lesnar? You know, would Brock Lesnar have retired? Like, like, there's a lot of what-if scenarios to look at because, remember, Overeem got popped after that fight. You know what I mean? I still feel like Brock Lesnar would at some point have retired. But, Absolutely. Um, like, rather quickly. Like, I think he would have lost at some point, and he would have retired then. Right. Um, as far as him getting popped, I think, he, I think Overeem would have been cut instantaneously if he got popped after losing that fight. Yep. That's what I mean. Like, like it just tripped me out because, and I don't, I don't even want to look at it from a revisionist history standpoint. I just want to look at it from the standpoint of so many things went into that entire chain of events. You know, the Overeem drug des- testing leading up to the fight, the Lesnar diverticulitis. The w- Lesnar did lose decisively. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like, what if you know he would have got popped and Lesnar would have caught him with that canned ham to the face? You know. 
Yeah, he he probably would have never been this far into the UFC. They probably they I would have been shocked if they didn't cut him right then and there. There you go. All right, so we are we are actually done on the MMA side of things. Um, I know you've been working, so I know you're not doing the show. Um, did you did you did you end well, up doing the um the fantasy league? Uh yeah, we we did. Uh, the fantasy league is up. Um, so that. Is something we're doing right now. Uh, I mean, if anybody still from the show wanted to do a like NTR only fantasy league, I believe you could still do fantasy leagues at this point. I'm gonna have to look at that because I know the season started tonight. But you uh, might want to get with Jay Santi. Yeah, so I believe I believe like if, if anybody from the site uh, wanted to do their own like, NTR uh, fantasy league, we could do that. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. So I got the fantasy league finally up. Got ten people. It took. It was far harder than I thought it would be. We got ten people. Um, yeah. So there you go. Well, I know. I know you put the the show on the back burner because you're working. So yeah. You know, definitely. Like I said, hit up Jay. He just said in the chat he's with it. So get with him. Maybe you guys could do something. All right. Cool. All right. I will do that. All right, last but not least, of course, make sure to follow Ben on Twitter at BlackoutBlaqout89 on Twitter. Anything else? Oh, yeah, make sure to read his Fighter of the Month and his Fighter Recaps on the site. Yep, and uh, my Saints World 4 review will be probably this weekend. I'm finishing up the game right now, so it should be this weekend. There you go. Did you get the dubstep gun? Uh, Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's all I wanted to hear. All right, dude. I will catch you. All right. All right, bro. Peace. Peace. All right, guys. That was Ben. You can find him on Twitter at Blackout89. If you're interested in getting in the Fantasy League, make sure to hit him up on our Facebook fan page or hit him up on Twitter, and you guys can get involved. All right. So that's going to wrap up MMA for this week. Let's get into some wrestling. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! Yes, sir, we promised you a great main event here tonight. Look at that! Andre! The giant muscle mania! Everyone has a price, Chris! Fuck off! So, before I get into Raw and this week's wrestling news, you guys... Um, a lot of you on Twitter, shout out to Javon Lewis first and foremost, uh, reached out to me because I dropped a pipe bomb on the Bella Twins. For, I'd like to say 80% of the listeners, they've really had a field day with that for a multitude of reasons, either because there are two non-talented succubus broads. Others uh, really thought it was a little over the top. And one or two actually said... You know, uh, one or two people actually were like, oh, you know, you you really came down hard on those chicks. It's not their fault, blah, blah, blah. They're part of the WWE machine, yada, fucking yada. And before I get, in, before I get into wrestling, I want to address all these individuals. I have been a wrestling fan since I was five years old. I watched Hogan and Andre on VHS with an intro from Titan Sports. I have watched... Countless wrestling from WWE to WCW to Puro to ECW to Lucha Libre to Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, CZW, Chikara, 
the, the list goes on and on and on. Now, here, here's the thing. In all these organizations I have named, there's always been a measuring stick, a, 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 just a gauge with regards to women's wrestling. And that gauge has always led to three types of women's wrestlers. You have the valets that are just for show that wrestle occasionally. You have the marginally good chicks that wrestle fairly often. They're, you know, the chicks that are in the Barry Horowitz category, solid performers that usually are jobber fodder, but give competitive matches. And of course, the, the women that stand head and shoulders above all others. When I talk about those women that stand head and shoulders above others, I talk about, you know, the Sarah Del Rey's, the Jazz, Molly Holly, um, Trish Stratus, Lita, Gail Kim. The list goes on of just talented women. The, the, the Half of the women in, in Shimmer, all women that have moved women's wrestling forward, Leaps and bounds. Now, when I when I shit on the Bella Twins, I don't shit on them because I, you know, not only because they look like employees from Too Cute and Queen Center Mall. Thank you, Jay. Uh, but the fact is that I shit on them because they're just there's just a failure to become better. I group Kelly Kelly in the same category. Kelly Kelly is a beautiful chick, beautiful, a beautiful woman. Don't get me wrong. She, you look at her, you're like, wow, she is, you know, Sports Illustrated cover model material type chick. Great. But when I look at women's wrestling, I expect wrestling. If I wanted to see um, page six Maxim girls or girls that, that are on the back cover of Playboy that aren't cover model material but are back cover and maybe page eight or page nine if they're stuck together, then sure. But when you're talking to me about women's wrestling, wrestling being the operative term, and I see chicks that go in there and can't deliver a fucking clothesline or can't even tell the most simplest of stories, it boggles my mind. Like, sure, you can wear $4,000 Christian Louboutin heels and stand on a red carpet. And you know what? That's great because WWE can still utilize that. But when you're booking them as the centerpiece to move a reality show and over pretty much passing over the women on your roster, it, it it's definitely a little disheartening. And the thing that gets me is that if you're using it as an angle, which is where it's going with AJ Lee dropping the belt to the Bellas, it's fine, but they couldn't even sell that promo, that pipe bomb that AJ did. Like I said, just a bunch of squawking hens complaining and just, just taking away from that promo. And sure, some of you guys were like, oh, you know, Rich, you were a little harsh. Listen, it's not harsh when you're passionate about something you give a fuck about. If you watch, if you follow, if you have a fantasy football league and you're, and a guy that you draft comes in from college, he's, he's on your league and he plays like shit either because he drops the ball or he can't take a snap or whatever it is. You're going to get pissed off. Why? Because that's what you're passionate about. If you're a base, if you're a fan of baseball and a guy that you followed from another team gets drafted over and he play and he, or he gets traded over and he plays like shit, you're going to be just as upset. I give a shit about professional wrestling because it is still an art form. It's still one of the most realistic art forms out there that is as physical as it gets. 
I've watched enough independent wrestling to see these guys beat the fuck out of each other and then sit with their wives and their children with three bags of ice and their feet soaked in water. And it's an insult. It's an insult to me that these chicks are being given these opportunities, are dating two of the four most popular superstars on the roster and can't sell or make a match look good. It's it's a travesty. Jay says the third week, the boss is raging on the Bellas. I think he might have dated one of them in high school. Dude, can I tell you, if that were true, I'd at least have legitimate beef. But sadly, no idea. But you never know. <laughs> no, but honestly, it, it's it's nothing personal against them. It's just the, the, the way that they're being booked and an insult to the art form of professional wrestling. Seriously. That's all it is. It, it, it's the fact that they just don't want to learn. Like Kelly Kelly. Kelly Kelly, when she was on TV, again, beautiful chick to look at. But yo, she threw a clothesline like Stephen Hawking moving his wheelchair. I'm like, yo, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, and, and I'm not even cracking on Stephen Hawking. I've seen Stephen Hawking move his wheelchair and his and his arm is in the is in a you know in a in a slight 90 degree angle and he's moving his wheelchair. She can't throw a clothesline right for the life of her. And and I it just it, it, it boggled my mind. I'd look at the TV like, yo, how do you not know how to throw a, a clothesline and you're the champion? What, for mainstream appeal? Because you're on the Maxim Top 100 list? Get the fuck out of here. Seriously. What happened to the days when, when the chicks would go out there and, and, and be the main event on Monday Night Raw, like Trish Stratus and Lita? What happened? And it's true to, to quote what Jay says, the Divas got better when Finley and Goldust trained them. I agree a thousand percent. And Regal, because I think Regal was involved too. When those guys were involved with those with the with the divas, you got better wrestling. It wasn't great because there were still questionable women that were there, but it was good. It really was. It was good. Now, uh, not so much. Anyway, I just wanted to address a lot of the people that reached out via different mediums to talk about my my rant from last week. It, it is what it is. Either them bitches improve, or I'm gonna shit on them every week. That's it. Anyway, Raw this week, it, it kind of felt like wash, rinse, and repeat with Raw. Raw was okay. It was all right. But it, it just felt like like we've seen the beginning again. You know, the whole Orton, Danny Bryan, and then the big show. It just felt recycled. I don't know why, but it just did. It just felt incredibly recycled. Uh, Fandango and The Miz had, had a really good, pretty decent match. The Miz's figure four continues to look suspect. You would think at this point that, you know, it would look better, his figure four, but it but it doesn't. It doesn't look as good. On the contrary, it always looks like he like he has to put extra work in to make it look good. I gotta give Fandango credit. He suffered a, a broken nose in that match, but he 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 took it like a champion. Took it like a champion, but that figure four, man, if you're going to use that, get better with it. Master it. Make it a, make it seamless. Make it to the point where you can execute it very quickly. You know what? Well, you know why Ric Flair does it and, and, you know, he builds up to it? Because he's mastered it. There's a setup that goes into it. 
The Miz, it always looks awkward. Very, very awkward. So, Ziggler took on Ryback in a match that you knew was punishment pretty much for the whole Triple H thing. Um, you know, Ambrose got involved. It is what it is. But I'm, I'm sure this is leading to the, the, the Ambrose-Ziggler uh, U.S. title situation. You know, it, it, it's fine. I just feel that Ziggler's once again treading water. Um, his match with Ryback was all right. It was decent. Um, but... I don't know where Ryback falls into the equation. I don't know if it's because you're trying to build this whole new corporation, this new uh, corporate McMahon faction, and you want to have Ryback be the muscle. I don't know. Like I said, so much of Daniel Bryan's feud with the McMahons reminds me of Stone Cold and McMahon that like stuff like Ryback being involved, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't shock me. I will say though, you know, Ziggler, Ziggler bumped like a champion to make Ryback look good in there. It was, it was solid. I really enjoyed it. Um, the, 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 the big show Stephanie McMahon thing was so forced. It was, eh, it, it, like, here's the thing, like Stephanie McMahon coming out there and uh, the big show. And uh, here's a guy. And this, this is going to lead me to something I'm going to talk about later. You take the big show. Here, here he is with his ironclad contract. He went through all this trouble for building that up. And now you're just booking him like a complete bitch. Like a, like a complete bitch. Like the guy lost weight, looks good, should be running roughshod through the division, either as a, heavy, as a face or a heel, and you just continue to book him like a bitch. It's the same thing I was saying with Mark Henry. When Mark Henry's heel turn was finally established and he went on that Hall of Pain run that was just amazing, it, that's the point where you really wanted to invest your energies into Mark Henry because you're like, damn, this dude is making it work. The big show, it was, you know, it was just bullshit. And I felt bad because the big show, he needs that angle. He needs that one angle that'll redeem him to the fans. Every time you look at the big show, I just see giant whiny crybaby. Either whiny heel crybaby or whiny face crybaby. Crybaby. I don't see anything else. And it's sad because it's like when, when Stephanie McMahon's out there and, and, and she's trying to cut this whole heartfelt promo, I just, I just fucking heard... <laughs> that's it the big show standing there all broken and shit i'm like get the fuck out of here ironclad contract and you're talking to me about oh you've been my friend since i was a little boy shut up shut your face this isn't where the wild things are you're not the little kid with the monsters you know at the fuck out of here. That's what, what do you think? That's what it is. The big show is one of the big monsters from where, from where the wild things get the fuck out of here. And Stephanie McMahon's acting. I don't know where it just took a nosedive into shitsville, but that was definitely the case. 100%. So Heath Slater and Jinder with his stupid turban that he comes out with while he's in a fucking rock band came out, had a serviceable match with the top, with the primetime players. Very impressive. I, I like where they're going. They're trying to build up the primetime players. They're not using Darren Young's sexuality as a crutch. Uh, thank you very much. And, you know, it worked. 
Meanwhile, Cody Rhodes got put into a match with Randy Orton where his career was on the line. Of course, Cody Rhodes loses and gets fired. Yeah, pretty much. That's what it was. Triple H channeling his inner Vince um, fired Cody and said Cody walked out and he left. I mean, Cody's going to go get married to his very pretty wife and he's just going to chill and that'll be that. I'm sure Cody will come back in some fashion and it is what it is. We got a wonderful CM Punk promo. Shh, CM Punk is on, quoting Jay Santee because that's what, that's what he always says. Um, very good. It was it, CM Punk, passionate, awesome promo. Um, very weird, b- breaking bad references throughout the broadcast. I don't know what the fuck was going on with that. Um, Natalia, Brie Bella, and Naomi had a match, which, uh... That, that, that's it. That's what sums up that match. That's it. I'm not even gonna go into it, because it, it was, it was that fucking bad. That bad. Other than the rear view spot from Naomi, bad. It it was, ugh. Meanwhile, Sandow took on Van Damme in a a very solid match. I I was shocked that um, they gave the pin to Van Damme. Beautiful five-star frog splash on on Damian Sandow. I don't know what they're doing with Sandow, considering, you know, he's got the briefcase, but yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, Daniel Bryan took on the big show, and it was just sad, just super sad. Shield comes out, kills Daniel Bryan. Big show comes out with a knockout punch. It was so stupid. Just just big old bitch show coming out. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> like I'm like, yo, really? Just ironclad contract. Now all of a sudden his ironclad contract means that he's broke and he has no money and he's destitute. Where the fuck did they get that from? Ironclad means guaranteed money. Oh, he lost money in some get so stupid thank you slick the bit show yes that's what it was i was horrified that you would add him into this storyline because it's stupid so stupid like i like where they were going where it was like triple h versus the roster where every time somebody spoke badly about him they'd be put in a match and get killed come on Seriously, like Jay said is in the chat, one of the highest paid wrestlers in the business, and you're saying he's destitute and he has to go out there and do whatever the get the fuck out of here. You could have I would have believed it more if you would have said that there was a sex tape with Big Show and Hornswoggle, and if you didn't want it released to the general public, you would he would have to work with the McMahons. I'd believe that before I'd believe that the Big Show is destitute and has no fucking money. What a what a terrible terrible plot device they're using to move this along. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to the Big Show and to Daniel Bryan that he has to look at the Big Show with a straight face as he has to fucking eat a eat a giant ham sandwich fist to the face to make this angle work. So much could be done with the Big Show. So fucking much. And this this is what we get. <laughs> I'm punching you in the face. <laughs> I have no money. Get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. This is just terrible. It is complete and utter dog shit. 
and it's sad because the Big Show's not. He's he's not that terrible. He's really not. I've seen worse. I have seen worse. Boo! That about sums up Raw for this week. Seriously, that that sums up Raw in a nutshell. For for the few high points that there were, it was it was it was just that it was. That's it. Anyway, fuck Raw this week. Simple as that. Let's get into the other wrestling news because there's a couple of things we got to discuss. So AJ Styles has been in contract negotiations with TNA. Everybody was waiting with bated breath to see if he would jump to the E. He didn't. Um, for for what it, for what it's worth, he got a, a contract extension. Um, basically, what is what's been said is that his contract was that he would get a raise every year. With his contract, TNA allegedly wanted to negotiate a new contract with no raises and AJ Styles. I don't know what kind of a contract extension they came up with, but it's pretty much through the remainder of the year. I almost have a feeling that AJ is going to work through for TNA and then in 2014 will be a free agent. And who knows? We may actually see AJ in the WWE or ring of honor or elsewhere. And uh, yeah. That's it. I the thing that gets me is that AJ Styles has been a just a, a pretty much the cornerstone of your organization. And you and you don't you're not doing right by the guy. You know, Jay says AJ isn't going anywhere, but you know what the thing is? While I would love to agree with Jay, I'm just I'm torn I'm torn by the fact that yeah, he is the face of the company, dude. He is. And on paper, he's the face of the company. But when you have a guy that you're booking and you're building your company around, and then all of a sudden you drop the ball, I just I just don't think that he's being utilized to his utmost potential. Like, I never understood why AJ never got the belt, the big belt, other than storyline purposes, but why he didn't get the belt again. He had great matches with everybody that you put him with. Everyone. I never understood why they did that because there was tremendous opportunity there. You know, it was another guy in TNA that deserves a run with the belt sometime soon. Christopher Daniels, another cornerstone of the fucking company. But again, misused. That's how it goes. I had somebody mention to me on Twitter that Hernandez is another misused guys. No, Hernandez isn't misused. Hernandez just drops people on their heads the wrong fucking way and nearly kills them. That's why Hernandez isn't further up on the card. But AJ, AJ, he needs to be the guy that you have up there. It, 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 simple as that. And I agree. Hogan is a fucking terrible booker. Terrible. Terrible. Like AJ... I like the whole dual personality with the music because I like I like AJ's new theme music. A lot of people give me shit, but I like AJ's new theme music and I like the way it goes where he does the quote-unquote transformation into the phenomenal one. I like that because it kind of, you know, it works for some crazy reason. The thing that I don't like is just what how terrible he's been used terribly, terribly. And it's true, Jay was talking about the Bound for Glory series. If you've been reading his commentary on the fan page, the BFG series is so fucking terrible this time around. I don't know what the hell is going on. But that's a story for another day. But for the time being, AJ is going to remain in TNA. So, I wanted to talk about a guy who 
is the inspiration for a column I'm working on. Um, you guys know I do the MTR Pick 10, and I did an MTR Pick 10 about tag team finishers. So the next MTR Pick 10 I'm working on is about submission finishers. And this particular guy, his finisher in WCW, I really liked it because it just looked incredibly painful. And he came up in the news this week. That man is Chris Jericho and his Walls of Jericho, who will be in that list. So he did an interview recently just talking about WWE and what he's going to do. And he referenced about his match with Fandango at WrestleMania. And he said that that match wasn't his first choice, and he was asked to do the match by Vince McMahon. Now, the thing that he said about that match was that they did a great job, and it set the stage for the reaction Fandango got the next night on Raw. He added that now that the fat has died down, Fandango will have to work hard to get the audience's respect. And he actually referenced his debut in 1999, where he had to come down and prove to the world, well, you know, where Jericho became that big deal in 1999 and had to really reinforce his skill set later on. And I do agree with that. I think that Chris Jericho, he said, he also went on to say in the interview that, you know, he's he's probably one of the few guys left from his generation and that he wants to work with younger guys and help them get better. He said he's happy doing whatever the WWE offers and mentioned, you know, the Shield, Big E, Antonio Cesaro, and Curtis Axel as talents he worked with. He also said that Daniel Bryan was doing great and that the WWE has a really good mix of talent right now. He also talked a little bit about Triple H taking over the company. He said things have changed with how talent breaks into the business. He added that he wasn't going to be the old crotchety guy complaining about that things were better in it during his day. Um, he's working on his third book and in, in looking at that interview and reading that interview, I said to myself, Chris Jericho, he gets it. He understands that he, he doesn't need to be a full-time guy. He doesn't need to come back and automatically win the belt, but he needs to go out there and entertain and have fun. And when guys come to that amazing realization, you get better wrestling out of them because they're motivated. They're happy and they're willing to work with anybody that's there. Great examples of that, besides Chris Jericho, is Rob Van Dam. Rob Van Dam has come in, he's kind of been teased at, at title runs, but he goes in there, he has good matches, he really looks like he's having a good time out there, and he looks motivated. And that's one of the things that I've always said is an issue with wrestling, and why to a degree, I'm not saying wrestling should have an off-season, but there should definitely be instances where guys that have been on the road so long get... De- you know, for not force time off, but get a decent amount of time off. Like, I think that there should be three months out of the year that certain main eventers should be given the time off to recharge, heal their injuries, especially if they're small ones, and then come back refreshed and motivated. Chris Jericho, he leaves, he comes back, he reinvents himself just a touch, and he goes out there and he entertains. Rob Van Dam, he leaves, he comes back, he's motivated, putting guys over, having a blast in the process. I have no problem with veteran talent coming back and doing that and making the business fun and making the business enjoyable. But the problem with with TNA doing that is that TNA just decides we're going to bring these cast-offs in and we're going to run with them. See Jeff Hardy. See Kurt Angle. See Christian. You know what I mean? Not to say that those guys, when they had the belt in TNA, were bad. On the contrary, Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle was a solid champion. So was Christian. So was Jeff Hardy. But 
you lose sight of the fact that you have such great homegrown talent. And I really like that Jericho recognizes that and he's willing to go in there and put these guys over. You know, the Antonio Cesaros, the Big E's, the Shield. Like, he's doing, to, to quote, to use the, the tired Triple H, what's best for business line, that's what he's doing, what's best for business. There should be a drinking game. Every time what's best for business is said on Raw, people should drink. Jay, I'm putting you in charge of that. <laughs> no, but seriously, I like Chris Jericho's work ethic. He's always been entertaining. He comes back. He does what needs to be done for the betterment of, of the talent, and it shows. If Chris Jericho retired tomorrow, I'd really miss what he's done for professional wrestling because he makes it fun. You could see that. He made Fandango great in a WrestleMania match that nobody knew was going to turn out as good as it did. He made it work. I'm really looking forward to his third book. I've read Chris Jericho's books. They're, they're, they're great stories, especially a lot of the road stuff, him on the come up. It's it's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous how, how much Chris Jericho gets it. He really does get it. You know who gets it too? Dean Ambrose. The guys from um, Matt Men, from the Matt Men podcast here on the GFQ Network, of course, Andrew Zarian, and Rich Stambolian, they shared a, a clip about Dean Ambrose. And um, the thing about Dean Ambrose that I really liked, and I'm trying to find the clip, is that he was talking about wrestling and how, you know, people don't get it and take wrestling way too seriously. And that clip was amazing for, for a multitude of reasons, just because like Jericho, Ambrose gets it. And I'm sharing that clip with you guys because I want you guys to see. He just he just called it like he saw it. And I think the more wrestlers understand that, the better off they'll be. I shared the clip in the chat for you guys to check out. So, got to talk a little bit about WWE's recent movie releases. First off, See No Evil 2 is going to begin filming September 23rd. Um, the film will be a straight-to-DVD release. It's not heading to theaters. Um, of course, See No Evil 1 was in theaters, made $18 million on an $8 million budget. See No Evil 2, though, will be going straight-to-DVD. Now, straight-to-DVD has actually been successful for WWE films. The Marine 3 with The Miz sold 169,000 copied... 169,000 DVD since its release. That's considered to be a successful number. Uh, 12 Rounds Reloaded with Randy Orton sold 51,000 copies since its release, which is crazy. Think about this. The Miz, with the third installment of The Marine, outsold Randy Orton's second installment of 12 Rounds. Just food for thought, ladies and gents. So, another guy I wanted to talk about, and this was what I was leading to before when we were talking about Raw, is Matt Morgan. Matt Morgan has pretty much kind of been teasing that he wants to come to WWE, and I'll be honest, I want to see him there because we don't really have that... Uh, we don't have a new dominant big guy. And I'm not talking about a, a jacked-up guy. I'm talking about a big seven-foot guy. We don't have it. We don't. It's not the big show. The big show, for all intents and purposes, has been ruined by the business. Ruined. Matt Morgan, you could bring him in. I would make Matt Morgan a Heyman guy. Because his mic work is okay, but I would make Matt Morgan a Heyman guy. First and foremost, give CM Punk a guy to feud with. Allows Matt Morgan to kind of become entrenched in a feud that works. Not only that, but it allows him to kind of work with a guy who will help him learn. Guys that work with CM Punk 
come away better wrestlers, better entertainers. I think Matt Morgan has the tools and Paul Heyman can really, really, really enhance where Matt Morgan is lacking. And that's his mic work. Matt Morgan's mic work is okay. Heyman can help him become better. And besides, we are in that changing of the guard. We need a new dominant big guy in the WWE. A new seven-footer. Kane will always be Kane. Undertaker will always be the Undertaker. And the big show, until he retires, will always be there. But you need a younger guy. some A guy that brings something new to the table. And Matt Morgan is that guy. He really is. He's got the look. He's got the presence. He's got the tattoos, which you can turn into t-shirts. It works. Just, you know, we could we could sweep under the rug the whole uh, stuttering gimmick and, and, and do something good with him. Why he never got an opportunity in TNA to get the belt, even once, even once, baffles me. Baffles me completely and utterly. And it's true. I mean, Matt Morgan speaks English. I didn't put the great Kali in that entire in that entire diatribe I just did because the great Kali is a sideshow. He is carted out there as a sideshow. That's it. We need a new guy, younger, personable, marketable, who's big. That's not the big show. Because the big show, like I said, he's been, he's been ruined. For you to undo all the damage to the big sh- to the big show's career from a storyline standpoint, you got to start from the bottom, and you got to strip away all the bullshit, turn him into a monster. Every match that the big show has should end in just disqualifications or or whatever, just from him mauling guys, so you can start taking him seriously again. That's what I liked with Mark Henry's push, because that works. But unfortunately. You know, Matt Morgan, I think if he comes in, he he would do well. He would do very well. You send him down to to developmental for a little bit, to NXT, you get him sharpened, you get him ready, and you bring him up. And I'd bring him up as a Heyman guy. I wouldn't do the video packages and the random run-in Heyman guy. Why? Because when Brock Lesnar's not around, you need another intimidating guy. Not only that, but Le- but Heyman Heyman has history well, not Heyman. I mean, Matt Morgan has history with Brock Lesnar. If you remember, B- Brock Lesnar had his faction. It was him, Matt Morgan, and Nathan Jones. You could bring them back together, and when Lesnar's not on television, you still have that dominant big guy to fill in the void with Paul Heyman. Secondly, you'll allow a guy like like Morgan to learn from, from Paul Heyman and become a better performer. It's a win-win for all parties involved. No video packages, no no McMahon shit. Exactly how I said is the best way to do it. Simple as that. So, we've been joking about TNA on and off, on and off, on and off. And it was funny because TNA actually put a job out for a social media manager. There you go, Jay. This is your opportunity. Jay always jokes about getting a job with TNA on the fan page. Here it is. So, let me get this straight. TNA ha- is is barely able to pay their performers and is cutting talent left and right, but they want to hire a social media manager. I kid you not. Let me let me let me enlighten you on TNA's social media managing job. So, T- 
TNA Entertainment LLC is seeking a social media manager to, to develop strategies for timely, dynamic, interactive, and engaging content across Impact Wrestling's digital and growing social media platforms, including their website, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Pinterest, and Instagram. We are looking for a highly motivated and organized individual with experience and a passion for content creation and online community engagement. As acting as a spokesperson for TNA and Impact Wrestling, this candidate would establish an understanding and comfort with the Impact Wrestling brand and voice. Not only that, they must be willing to experiment with current and developing trends and platforms to enrich the overall 24-7 Impact Wrestling brand experience. First and foremost, if I had this job, the first thing I would do would be take Twitter away from Hulk Hogan. I don't want to read your shit. I don't want pictures of Brooke Hogan's legs, you fucking creep. And uh, yeah, get take Twitter away from Hulk Hogan immediately. But seriously, the responsibilities, and I quote, Develop and implement innovative, effective, ongoing social media plans. Contribute to TNA's profitability. Profitability. Why can I not read profitability? Thank you. (laughs) Contribute to TNA profitability goals by further building the impact wrestling fan community and nurturing relationships. So, you know, having people say that Hogan should retire a thousand times on Instagram is stuff you want me to handle. I got it. Cultivate relationships and establish credibility among TNA team members and talent. Oh, you mean uh, not spoiling Impact before it airs? Or telling Dixie Carter not to go to a football game when her talent isn't getting paid and the ratings are in the toilet? You mean that? Manage TNA's day-to-day social media activities across all channels. And here are the requirements, might I add. You need three years demonstrated experience leading online community management. You need to be a results-oriented professional with documented strategic planning. You need to have strong written, oral, and interpersonal communication skills and not be a Hogan. Uh, Extremely detail-oriented and driven to consistently meet deadlines. Oh, really? Like the deadlines where wrestlers and production staff should be paid? You mean those kind of deadlines? Right. Able to quickly assess business needs, energetic with a great attitude. Oh, so saying Hogan sucks is a bad idea, huh? Unability and willingness to work flexible hours in a fast-paced, ever-changing business environment. You mean getting hired one week and possibly fired the next week, or better yet, your direct deposit not having your paycheck. That's an ever-changing business environment. Last but not least, occasional travel. So, there are pluses. On-air hosting capability and experience. Video production. They want proficiency in Adobe Creative Suite. And um, knowledge of Impact Wrestling, its storylines, and talent. You mean all the knowledge that Dixie Carter does not have. Yeah. Anyway, if you guys want to submit a job application to TNA for their social media job, it's jobs at TNAWrestling.com. Good luck. Yeah. See? Jay said it best. Dixie Carter gets destroyed on Twitter. Yes, she does, because she opens up a Pandora's box of craziness. You know, she's like, oh, I want to I want to talk about this. And as soon as she opens her mouth, it just it just dies. It really just dies. I don't know what's going on with her. But as soon as she gets on Twitter and starts talking, it just takes a dump. 
I don't know why, but people just shit on her utterly. And I think that's where they need a social media manager. It's it's a guy, it's a person, a male or female who just tells Dixie, Dixie, take a back seat. We got this. Nobody wants to talk to you because they're going to say you have no knowledge of the business. You're running TNA into the ground. You're letting Hogan and Bischoff run wild. You fired all the great performers that you had, and you're waiting with bated breath for WWE castoffs to push into the main event. I don't know, but that's that's kind of how I see it. Anyway, last bit of wrestling news is that The Rock is working to adapt the Fall Guy into a film. Now, the Fall Guy, if you guys are 80s kids like I am, that was an old series. It was, I think, four or five seasons. I think they gave it, I want to say 81 or 82. Lee Majors was in it. And basically, the plot was that it was a, a stunt guy who also worked as a bounty hunter. It was created by Glenn Larson, who did Knight Rider. Anyway, The Rock wants to actually create a feature film about this show. And um, allegedly, McGee is directing it. And WWE Studios is going to co-finance the film. So, I, I don't want to say it's a it's a it's it's destined for disaster because it's it's a show from 1981. I doubt anyone will remember it, but if anybody can play a stuntman who becomes a bounty hunter, it's The Rock. Simple as that. All right, that's actually going to wrap up the wrestling for this week. Let's get into some video game news because there is quite a bit to discuss. All right, so Xbox One has a release date. Simple as that. We all know that the PlayStation will be coming out November 15th. So everybody that looked at their calendar said, clearly it's not going to be Black Friday, and it's not going to be before the PlayStation 3. So, gee, the, the date that looks the most appealing is the 22nd. Simple as that, and that's exactly what it is. November 22nd is the release date for the Xbox One. Meanwhile, the PlayStation 4 will have a one-week advantage being released on the 15th. We all knew it wasn't going to be November 8th, and we sure as hell knew it wasn't going to be on Black Friday, so that's as best as we're going to get. How that's going to affect overall sales doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. Because at the end of the day, people are either going to buy one console now or one console after the holidays, but I doubt very few people are going to buy both consoles at once. It's too big of a hit. Four ninety nine for the Xbox One, you know, you know, five six hundred bucks plus, you know, the cost of the PlayStation Four. It's not happening. Plus games for each. I I just I just don't see it working. If anything, you're either going to be two schools of thought: PlayStation Four first, Xbox One later, or Xbox One first, PS Four later. But there's not going to be this mass rush of people, you know, breaking down the doors to buy both systems. It's it's impossible. You're going to spend, you know, a little over a grand on both systems, not to mention games and accessories and whatever the fuck else you buy. It's just not happening. If anything, I think PlayStation's one week advantage is going to play in its favor because it's going to have a two week lead going into Thanksgiving weekend. Xbox is going to have to come out on the 22nd and then leverage its its sales that Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then 
probably for Black Friday, you'll start seeing maybe a couple of games dropping here or there if they want to try and, and gain gain some market share. That's what I'm saying. I, the release dates don't, they don't bug me. I'm glad that we finally got a release date, but... You know, people on Twitter, oh, yeah, man, fucking Xbox, they're going to they're gonna kill it, man. They're going to come out, guns blazing, Sony's going to be dead. I'm like, look, it's the way I see it with the Xbox. We could have figured out the release date with, with, our, with our eyes closed. I'm serious. Because the 15th was already reserved, and they weren't going to compete head-to-head. They wanted their own day. November 8th initially was my thought, but I said, nah, they're going to they're gonna want to let Sony blow their load first and then, and then bat clean up, and that's what they did. Will it be successful? It, it's all dependent on what they're going to drop that day that's going to make people lose their minds. Seriously. A couple of ports here and there, it, it, it's not going to be enough. That's not going to say that... That's not me saying that either system is going to have a clear-cut winner. That's just me saying that the release dates just don't mean shit at this point. Anyway, in other Xbox One news, you know, Major Nelson was saying that the Xbox One is not going to support external storage at launch. The feature is definitely a Microsoft's plans, but it's not going to be introduced for quite some time. He went on to say the following, The future plan is definitely to support external storage, much like we do on the 360. My understanding is that the feature will not be there at launch because the team is working on some other things, but it is definitely on the list. I don't know when it will come in, though. So there you have it. External storage will be supported. The other thing that came out with the news of the release date was that the Xbox One will allow you to use eight controllers on one system, which is pretty cool. Sony, meanwhile, of course, uses four. Xbox doubling it up, allowing you to use eight. Now, I'm curious as to how many of you guys in the chat have had eight people at once in your house playing games. I'm curious, and I'm not saying for Christmas or Thanksgiving, but I mean in general. Have any of you guys had eight people in your house at once to play a game? I'm just curious. If, if you have, then great. But the reason I'm talking about this is that people are people that are like, yeah, man, eight controllers, that's what's up, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, you know, it's, listen, four controllers, eight controllers. Again, these are things that aren't going to dictate the success of a system. I'm tired of these people jumping on Twitter instantly. Oh yeah, man, eight controllers. This word's at, it's going to be great. No, no. Four, four controllers, eight controllers doesn't matter. You know what matters? Price, launch lineup, and the first 90 days that's it not four or not eight it's bullshit doesn't matter you know everybody's like yeah well local eight player games for for colleges and parties how many people are out there with eight fucking people playing at once maybe if you're doing call of duty at an event okay i could see that that way you could have less consoles but I'm talking about legitimately like the average console owner at, at, at most I've had in my house, maybe four people on a good, yeah, about four or five people tops. And most of the time it's to play shit like seen it or, or buzz not to play Madden 
or Street Fighter, because it's like, yo, you pass the controller around. Winner stays on, loser passes the controller. Like, I, again, it's great that it supports eight. It's great that it supports four controllers on the PlayStation 4 side, but using that as, as, a, as a measuring stick for, who, for who's going to be leading the console wars, stupid. Switching gears a little bit, I wanted to talk about Pokemon. Uh, the three original starter Pokemon, Bulbasaur, Squirtle, and Charmander, will be in Pokemon XY. But what's going to happen is the game is going to give you the choice of one of the new starters from a friend, and then the professor is going to let you select one of the original three. Of course, the, uh, the, the, the original three will also have their own Mega Evolutions and their own abilities as well. Of course, to coincide with that, two new 3DS systems will be coming out, a red and a blue, with Pokemon artwork. There's also going to be a Pokemon Bank app that can be purchased that gives 100 boxes to store Pokemon in. That app is also going to let players use the Poke Transporter, which can move characters from black and white to new titles. So definitely very interesting if you're going to be picking up Pokemon XY, X or Y. That's that's some of the stuff you got to look forward to. I think, um, you know, making sure to put the news out there about the original trio is going to get people's attention. A lot of people are going to be, uh, pumped to play as the originals. I mean, the new Pokemon definitely look cool, but come on, you always, you always remember starting with your, with your core three. And I, I think I played Pokemon, the original, original one on my sister's Game Boy years ago. And I never had a problem starting with any of the of the key three. It was always I used to get mad because you couldn't start with Pikachu first. But um, I used to always start with Charmander. I kind of like Charmander um, when I played it on my sister's Game Boy. I believe when she plays it, she starts with Squirtle, if I remember correctly. I think that's where she start with Squirtle because um, I think that's her second favorite most Pokemon. Slick reminded me that Pikachu was the worst starter ever. Dude, what do you want from me? I hardly played the fucking game. <laughs> this is this is where Slick's Pokemon knowledge pretty much kills me dead, but um Pikachu uh he said uh Pikachu was the worst starter ever because the first gym was a rock ground gym immune to electric attack. See? Th- this is why I refer to Slick for all Pokemon stuff because yeah. I haven't fucked with that stuff in ages, but like I said, two new 3DS systems, mega evolutions for your for your three classics, and of course your new Pokemon as well. Now, I'm sure this is probably going to get Slick's attention. Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare, which was announced for Xbox One, is, get this, 24-player multiplayer and 4-player co-op but won't have a single player mode. What the fuck is that? EA and PopCap have confirmed that Pokemon Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare will be multiplayer only. So there you have it. 24 player multiplayer or 4 player co-op. <laughs> oh shit. Slick said EA is fucking everything in the ass raw. <laughs> anyway, if you have 24 people that you want to play with or four people that live in your house that love Plants vs. Zombies, well, the game is going to cost you $39.99 on the Xbox One or $29.99 on the Xbox 360 and PC. Please note that the Xbox One version will have exclusive content for the game. 
Whoop-de-damn-doo. While we're on the subject of EA, Madden 25, not a big shocker, sold more than 1 million units during its first week in retail, August 27th through September 2nd. This puts the game as the highest selling game in North America in August. Big shocker there. I knew that when the MPD numbers came out, Madden would be number one. Fans have been playing nearly 6 million hours of Madden in week one. That's the equivalent of more than 600 consecutive years, according to Andrew Wilson, vice president of EA. He went on to say the strong start for Madden 25 on the current generation consoles is a testament to the power of this amazing franchise and its fans. It's a big year for our fans as we launch Madden NFL 25 for two different hardware generations. And we're pleased with the early results for the Xbox 360 and PS3. We're confident we can sustain this momentum as we move towards the launch of next generation consoles this fall with the most innovative Madden NFL type yet of course madden is available on 360 ps3 and ios and the game will be released on xbox one and playstation 4 in november so as much as i shit on madden and its roster update mentality like i said earlier in the broadcast when i uh plugged jay santi's league uh 360 nyc's finest football uh the fact is that it looked good madden 25 looked good i'm just I'm just so beyond Madden at this point. Cause like I said, that Madden it's uh, yo kid, I'm going to camp out for Madden. Don't get shot kid. Don't get shot. It's, it's terrible to say, but that's how it goes. I drove by a GameStop on the way home and there were dudes outside waiting for Madden waiting, waiting with bated breath. Is it wrong of me to say that they were all minorities? Absolutely. Cause that's what we do. We camp out for Madden, you know. We don't. We don't camp out to take the, um, cons- you know, the, the the plumber's apprentice job. But yo, we will. We will. We will camp out for Madden. And and I and I don't care, man. It, it, look, I'm Hispanic, and some of my people are lazy sons of bitches. It's true, and it's and they won't. They won't camp out for shit else. You tell them, hey, man, you know this job. Nah, kid, I'm good. It's funny because I have a guy. I have a guy I know, cool dude, super cool. We're all friends with these type of guys. These guys, they bitch to you about their job. I hate my job. I hate my job. I hate my job. But yet they don't do anything to better themselves. So when you say, yo, man, I hate my job. And you go, yeah, man. Well, you know, there, there's uh, open enrollment for sanitation. Nah, man, I don't want to do that. Okay. How come? Well, I don't want to go. I have to wake up early and and pick up garbage oh so making less than thirty thousand dollars a year and you don't want to improve yourself because you don't want to wake up early but this same guy i texted him i was like hey man you know if you want to check out that job it was actually for the um the constructions the construction uh, apprentice gig where they were doing a construction apprentice gig in new york city where they open this job up every two years. Um, they only pick 250 applicants. Thousands of people line up days in advance. I told the dude, I'm like, listen, you know, this job is good. It's guaranteed. You get good money. One of my buddies, he's an electrician's apprentice. Now he's a full-time electrician getting paid out the ass. I told him, I'm like, yo, man, you want, you, you got to wake up super early, 
to be on the line. You got to be there by at least 4 a.m. I don't know, man. All right, so then don't bitch that you don't make money. But you know where this guy was? On the line in, in, in Cherry Valley, at the GameStop in Cherry Valley to get Madden. And this guy, he listens to the show. He knows who he is. You're a lazy motherfucker. Uh, you're, I, you're my boy, but you're lazy as shit. You camp out for Madden, but you don't camp out for a job where you can make $60,000 a year. Don't bitch to me this weekend or, or within the next couple of days about hating your job. There you go. I just have to throw somebody under the fucking bus. Because it's true. I don't, I don't hate Madden because of the roster updates. I do, but I also hate it because it's become an institution where dudes will forego bettering themselves to play a game that is outdated halfway through the season. You know, you guys know I'm right. Jay, I know you play Madden, but you know once football season's over by the middle part of the year, that game is outdated as fuck. As soon as trades are done, unless they release a trade update, which they do on occasion, you know, you know the shit is dead. You know it. You buy Madden in August, you trade it in, in February, and you get $8 for it. I'm sorry. That's why I don't do it. Because you you part with 60 fucking bucks, and then you're like, eh, football season's over. And then you go trade the shit in, and there's 27 copies of Madden on the counter. And dudes are like, yo, I'll give you 750 for it. It's insanity. It is fucking insanity. That's what pisses me off with all sports games. You buy them, and, and before the, the season is out, the shit is worthless. That's it. That's why I'm saying that football games should be priced at 40 bucks with at least two updates in the season. It keeps people interested. Or, or Jay, Jay, I've said this before too, and Jay is right. They need to skip a year. That way it allows you to, to, to make the game better and, and you can do crazy shit with it. We don't need this shit every year. We don't. Because like I said, it's worthless. Fucking worthless. And that's what bugs me. That's what really bugs me the most. The roster update laziness is something I joke about, and, I, and it's a, it's, and it's an annoyance. But it's the fact that the game never fully evolves, and by the time you're done, you know, by the time you're done, it's like $8. Like, I could walk into a store right now, buy Madden 13... At, for for fifteen bucks, and enjoy it, and it and and I don't even need fourteen, and it would still be good. Slick said it best. It won't be cheaper because people like your boy are online every year. Sad but true. Speaking of Slick, I know he's on the line. He wants to come in and share his thoughts. I actually think that he will uh, be vital for me to wrap up the gaming segment. So let me bring him in. Slick, what's up? What's up, man? I don't know, man. Dudes don't want to camp out to get a fucking job, but they'll camp out for fucking Madden. Well. I asked dude, yo, what time were you online from? He's like, yo, I got here 930. Like the shit's going to sell out. (laughs) What is Madden ever going to sell out? 
I, I don't understand it myself. I mean, I got no beef with people who love their sports games, but the thing is, like you said, it's like it's worthless. It's the same game every year because it doesn't matter what EA tells you. We improve this. It's a better passing game. It's a better running game. It's the same fucking shit. Dude, you run with the ball. and over again. You run with the ball. You throw the ball. You make the AI a little better. Maybe you throw in the Bill Belichick sideline cheat code. Maybe, you know... Maybe you throw in the the I shot myself in the club storyline for season mode, but but seriously, like other than that, graphical improvements and, and maybe some 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 more realistic graphics. But I miss the days when I used to play Madden and want to hit a guy so that they could cart him off on in the ambulance. And I know Jay remembers those days where the ambulance would come out, wee and they'd freaking cart the little dude out on a tiny gurney, and you'd be all hyped, you're like, yes! It was it was fantastic. Now it's like, it is so realistic that there's fucking commercials in the game. Yeah, that's how realistic it is. Yep. This halftime replay is brought to you by Gatorade. But it's like EA kills everything. It's like... Yep. EA kills everything. They killed the they killed the creativity in football gaming, period, because they bought the license to NFL, and it's like nobody else makes football games now, so this truly, it, it makes it even less sense to buy Madden because the fact that there's no competition, there's no incentive for them to, to truly improve the game. Dude, I miss... no matter what, no matter what they put out, you got cats waiting online at 9.30 to get the game. Dude, I miss. I miss NFL 2K. I miss it. NFL 2K kept Madden on its toes because it was that good. Like, NFL 2K, you're like, oh, that's pretty badass. And then all of a sudden, it was like, yo, EA's got to get, get with it because they're getting killed by, by NFL 2K. Now, since they're the only game in town, they've they grow, they've gotten lazy. And it, it's the combination of that and the fact that people will buy it no matter what. And that that in part is because it's the only game in town. But if gamers got together and say, "Yo, he ain't doing shit for us with this man," it's like we're not gonna buy it then maybe they wouldn't release it every year. Maybe they would make it cheaper, or maybe they would start actually innovating again. And it's the same thing. It's like the, they, they bought some of the best games and just fucked them up. It's like they, they bought Criterion, and now Burnout is dead. Pretty much. So they keep making fucking Need for Speed games, and now Ubisoft is making this game called The Crew, that's supposed to come out next year for the PlayStation 4, that's just looking like it's going to just... It's going to steamroll Need for Speed if it if it's half as good as the trailer looks. And it's like... People are going to be like, yo, what the fuck happened with Burnout? It's like, the only game that's worth playing is the crew. 
I miss you got Criterion working on a new Need for Speed because we really need that shit. The only Need for Speed I like is 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 the old Most Wanted games where you can run from the cops, like legit run from the cops, and then play as the cops to chase down the racers. Love that, dude. I loved when they brought that back. But again, like you said, it's like, let's make 17 different incarnations of Need for Speed, but we don't get a new burnout. Like, which was the burnout where you got to play as the General Lee and the DeLorean? That was the last one. That was was the last one, right? And and the freaking, the DeLorean legit, the wheels went up and you had a hover mode. That was that was ridiculous, and that and you know. When you freaking use the actual burnout turbo boost, it left flames on the road. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like, like they don't do anything like that anymore. Nope. Like Jay said, I skip a year for sports games. I bought Madden because it was the 25th anniversary. That's fine. You know, I, I understand that. He goes, I buy WWE games every year, though. See, WWE games are weird because even though they're glorified roster updates, they try it. They try to make them better. They try. They don't always succeed, but they try to make them better. See, a, a lot of people... Yeah, but they're also not made by E. They're made by who? Now they're made by 2K. But that's what I mean. Like, like when, when I had this Madden argument last year with a guy and he was like yeah dude but you know you play wwe games and you play street fighter and you play you know marvel versus capcom and they all do the same shit too they all roster they they do but you know what it is how many years is it between street fighter games how many years is it but between marvel versus capcom games and i'm not talking about the the enhancements but i'm talking about legit sequels years dude years Exactly. You know, WWE, at least they try. They did that one arcade wrestling game. What was that? WWE All-Stars, if I'm correct, which was pretty fun. I remember playing that. That's what I mean. Like, Madden, if Madden came out every other year and just focused on making the play engine good and keeping the game updated, that would be awesome. Like, you know what would be cool? Especially with Xbox One now. Say you released a Madden on Madden 25 on Xbox One and PlayStation 4. And say... When you do the NFL draft, you can actually do a simulation draft with the system and draft those players into your into your roster in the game. That would keep the game fresh and it would fill the gap between the years and you can make that an event. You know how we, how we used to do 1 versus 100, you could do the NFL draft and partner up with ESPN and or Fox Sports or whatever and do that. And it would keep the game fresh. And people would be like, yo, man, I got to get into my draft. The same way that we that these guys go crazy for fantasy football, make it that way for Madden that people don't have to feel so bad if there's, if there's a gap between years. Or, well, like, let people set up their freaking, their actual fantasy draft through Madden. That would be ridiculous. Fantasy drafts through Madden would be badass. And then again, if, if Xbox is all about this whole connected TV experience, dude, what better way to sell it than with that? Well, that, that part I, I can't blame on Microsoft. That, that's EA short-sightedness. Oh, yeah, of course. But what I'm saying is if they're practically in bed with Microsoft as it is, you know what I'm saying? Just leverage that shit. 
That's all I'm saying. Now, well, I got you here. Check this out. So, um, Albert Pinello from Microsoft did an interview with GameSpot, and he said that Xbox One could be backwards compatible at some point. How fucking ridiculous is that? He said, when asked if the cloud could offer backwards compatibility through streaming, like Sony plans to do with Gaikai, he said, absolutely. That's one of the things that makes the cloud at the same time both totally interesting and hard to describe. Because what the cloud can do is sort of hard to pin down. When you say to the customer, we want the box to be connected, we want developers to know that the cloud is there. We're really not trying to make up some phony thing, but there are so many things that the servers can do. Using our Azure cloud servers, sometimes it's things like voice processing. It could be more complicated things like rendering full games like a Gaikai and delivering it to the box. We just have to figure out how. And over time, how much does it cost to deliver and how good is the experience? As of launch, neither Xbox One nor PlayStation 4, of course, will have backwards compatibility, though Sony, of course, said that they plan to use Gaikai streaming technology to make legacy content available on the PS4 at some point. So, get, taking that into consideration, where do, where do you stand with the whole cloud backwards compatibility feature set? Because me personally, that's one of the things that's kind of annoyed me, that both of these systems are ultra powerful, but I, I need to have a home theater full of black boxes. I mean, as big as they made the Xbox One, I don't know why the hell they can't have backwards compatibility. I don't see why they couldn't dedicate a small section of that gigantic box to a few, you know, older Xbox components. But, you know, as far as the whole cloud idea, of course they can do it. I'm like, you're the company that sells, you know, the biggest piece of software for running computers in the world. Right. But you can't get backwards compatibility for your gaming console. Right. And now there's a possibility that you might be able to, whereas Sony, who really doesn't make software, says that they will do it at some point, which is still a better announcement than we might be able to do it. I mean, I just don't understand what Microsoft's focus is this console generation, and that is why I've chosen, you know, amongst, you know, just a few other reasons, you know, the games and stuff, to get a PS4 over Xbox One, at least at launch. Because they're, what they've chosen to do with the console, it, it honestly, it is great. I, I mean... It's not for me, but it is great. It's just that I don't believe that they focused on gamers, at least not the people who would run out and spend $500 on November 22nd, you know, 500 plus. They're just not focused. They're keeping that, you know, that all-around gamer focus, and those are not the people that are going to buy an Xbox One at launch. No, sir. The console is going to do fine, but I think they're going to be sorely disappointed with their 2013 sales numbers. Yeah, 2013 is going to be... I personally think that they will because it's like, again, the people who are going to be 
waiting at those midnight Best Buy openings are the they're the hardcore gamers. It, it's it's bottom line. Even though it's coming out right before Black Friday, both consoles, the parents who are going to get it for their kids are not going to be there at midnight on November 14th for the PS4 or at midnight on November 24th, 21st for the, the Xbox One. Nope. Those parents, just like all parents, are going to wait till the last fucking minute sometime in December if they get it for their kids at, at you know, this year at all. And, you know, wait, they're, they're going to be hoping for some kind of sale or bundle or whatever, and they're probably going to get ripped off. But whatever. It's yep. like the people that are going to be there day one are the hardcore gamers. Because those are the only people that are ever there day one for any console. How it goes. And it's- I can't see... With what's been explained, even with all the backpedaling that Microsoft has done, and that scares me even more because saying that your console is going to do all this stuff, and then after people bitch about it, you backpedal on it. It's like you had a, a solid design in mind. That's like saying, you know, this car is going to have... 300 horses, and then people bitch and say, that's not fast enough. And then you say, oh, no, 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 it's going to have 500 horses. How are you suddenly changing that? It's crazy, dude. Not only that, but I think the processor is getting a bump, too, on the Xbox One. It probably has to with all the fucking backpedaling just to handle all the shit that they're changing around with. I I think that there might be problems again with the initial consoles the way they were with the 360. And the first time was just because they rushed it out the door. This time, I think, is because they changed shit around too much. And I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll be happy that I'm wrong. But I have a feeling that initial Xbox One consoles, launch consoles, are going to have problems. Well, Hopefully, I- there'll be problems that can be resolved with firmware updates. But... I still say, you know, the PS4 is going to wind up being the better buy because just like with this one, it's probably going to be the more stable system. Well, the way I see it is, and this is the thing that bothered me, the system that would have probably yielded a, a better turnaround would have been the system that offered backwards compatibility because think about it. Retailers are leveraging sales numbers on telling people, hey, if you got that copy of Madden or Assassin's Creed or this game or that game, pay us 10 bucks and you can upgrade to, to the to the next-gen version. Instead of just telling people off the bat, like, oh, you got that version, you can enjoy it on this console. Because think about this. Think about all the resale value you can have from people trading in their older systems. People would still buy those systems for their kids down the road. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if Xbox would have said, yo... We're going to give backwards compatibility at launch. So there's so the transition between one console to the other is seamless. I think that would have pushed them ahead a bit because people wouldn't have been complaining because they would have been like, all right, the system is more money. But if I sell my old Xbox, I can still in, you know, I can still enjoy the games at least for a little bit. Now, from them, to, they, they, from them saying that they're going to support the Xbox for, for, for the foreseeable future, now there's rumors that they're saying that they're, they're, their support window is going to be three years. 
You see what I'm saying? That's what irks me. I think that the whole backwards compatibility, everybody comes out, yo, man, backwards compatibility is not a big deal. It is when you're still playing games, and in order for you to continue to enjoy them, you need to keep old hardware. Exactly. And then the worst part is it's not even the question of keeping the old hardware. It's the question that down the road they're going to be like, oh, yeah, that, that old game, you can rebuy it for 5 bucks. Because you know they will. Because that's what irks me. Like, I still have, you know, PS1 and PS2 games I play on my PS3, but it amuses me when they're on the on the PSN, and they're like, oh, you could buy Street Fighter Alpha 3 for nine ninety nine, And I'm like, really? I still have my Street Fighter Alpha 3. It's like, I could open my, my, my tray for free. Thank you. But people are like, yo, man, I'm going to buy this. They're like, like when they released Street Fighter Alpha 1... I actually bought it, but that was because that game was old as shit, and I had already sold it years ago, you know? For nostalgia purposes. But that's how I want to buy those games, from a nostalgia standpoint. Not the fact that I want to buy them because I can't enjoy them on the system I own. Like Castle of Illusion and and DuckTales. We bought them because they're old games, they got a fresh coat of paint, and we enjoyed them. I don't want to worry about that I can't enjoy, you know... Halo 3 on my on my Xbox One because it's not compatible. And then three or four, you know, two years from now, you'll add it in there and then you'll say, oh, buy Halo 3 for 10 bucks. It's crazy. Yep. And the, um, what did I say? The funniest thing about it, the shit that I just sit back and giggle my ass off about is see people keep bitching about backwards compatibility and what's the one company that always seems to give you backwards compatibility Nintendo ding 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 yep <laughs> I, it, 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 you, how crazy is it how crazy is it that people like again Nintendo as much as I, we shit on them, that's one thing that's consistent. You can play your GameCube games on your Wii. I think you can even play your GameCube games and your Wii games on the Wii U. Am I right? Uh, you can play Wii games. Ah, no no GameCube, right? They shelved the GameCube after that? I mean, I, I, could, I could try it, but I remember them saying it was backwards compatible to the Wii and not the GameCube. Okay, but even still... Look at the logistics there. You have your Wii system. Hey, the Wii U is coming out. All right, I'm going to sell my Wii. I don't got to sell the games. I shave off a little money, and I can still enjoy those games. You see the logic at play here? Yep. Like, what is so wrong about that? Now that I'm thinking about it, to to definitively answer that question, they're making the Wind Waker for the Wii U. No, it it doesn't go back to GameCube. Okay, fair enough. I just wanted to make sure because, like I said, I don't have the system, so that's that's your your area of expertise. But that's what I mean. Like if you said, "Hey, the PS4 is only compatible with PS3 games," you're gonna lose PS2. Fuck it, you know, because PS2's PS2 has been out of the loop for a while. It's fine, but you're not even giving people that. Same thing with Xbox One. It's like, yo, make it compatible to at least Xbox 360, like. When my Xbox 360 launch crapped out and I bought the Slim, I knew I couldn't play my old, big-ass Xbox games. 
But that's okay, because whatever, we had already surpassed that shelf life. It's fine. But that's what I mean. Like, like you know, like, we're stuck with two systems. Because there's still games you're going to want to play. Like, you're going to want to play God of War 3, maybe, because you're bored one day. And you got it for free on PSN+. Plus. Why not? And I think that the system I think the system that would have leveraged backwards compatibility would have made a bigger dent in in terms of sales numbers because people would be like fuck it, you know? I'll trade in. Think about this GameStop would have made bank getting in a whole bunch of old systems that they could resell. And the and the and the companies would have won because they would have sold more consoles. Well, all of that is right now just speculation because neither one of them has an ad launch. Only one of them right now even has plans to do it. Right. So, but to to, to close things up, think about this: you're buying GTA Five in roughly two weeks, right? You got GTA Five. Yep. Then then two months from 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 the launch date of GTA Five, you're buying a PlayStation Four. You can't even enjoy your new GTA inside your brand new PS4 because it won't play it. You see the bullshit? That, that did upset me because, I, like I said, I had thought about waiting two months to play GTA 5 to get the PS4 version, but there is no PS4 yep. version. There and that, is no Xbox One version. That's what I'm saying, and I understand... That, you know, they want to get out there, but this is the shit that kills me because it's like, that's a flagship game. That's a huge game. I don't understand with the the partnership that Sony has reestablished with Rockstar, why they didn't say, instead of making that freaking GTA 5 PS3, which I, I can't see that box selling well. Or right. whatever. Instead of making that, it's like bundle that shit with the fucking PS4. Charge customers fifty more dollars. Save them ten dollars and say the PS4 will come with GTA Five. There you go. Honestly, if I were Sony, I would have took the two months loss and let people buy that shit for the three sixty and say GTA 5 will launch with the PlayStation 4. I'd have gave Rockstar some money and say, fuck the PS3 version, enhance that shit for PS4. There you go. But the problem the problem is that I, I just feel, and that's where my frustration lies, like, like I don't mind buying GTA on the, on the 17th. Don't care, dude. I don't care. But... That lack of backwards compatibility, it's like, it's like, what if you just wanted to have one system? Like, everything is an expense. Yeah, I mean, Think about it. You, you, you have, let's, let's look at your, let's look at a TV right now. The average TV has four HDMI slots, which are comprised of your cable box, PlayStation, Xbox One, maybe a Wii U. And that's it. Now, 
you're going to need HDMI switches or or home or receivers to enjoy all your consoles cuz you're going to run out of slots. Or two TVs. Or two TVs. I got I I was fortunate enough that my TV came comes with six slots. I was fortunate. But again, not everybody's that Yeah, I have two on the side and four in the back. What the fuck? Yeah, lucky man. Yep. But that's what I mean. Like, I have my capture card plugged into one. I have my Google TV plugged into the other. Then on the on the four on the back, I have cable box. Actually, no. I have cable box, 360, PlayStation 3 plugged into my home theater, and that all runs through one wire to the, to the TV. So I have the ports. But anybody else out there is going to have to go and buy the, you know, buy the um, switches or or retire a console. Like, I'll be honest, if I if if I had if I if it came down to it, I could probably part with my 360 for the Xbox one because I have a, a, a small enough library of games where it's not too bad. But I'd be pissed off because I'd be losing all the stuff I've bought on Xbox Live. And that's my frustration, that's too. The thing. I'm shocked that they're not letting you, like, reclaim that stuff. Yep. Because I, I think PlayStation Network is letting you get a lot of that stuff back. Right. If it's available. Right. Oh, there and you yeah, have it. My, my, um, my PS3 is going to have to go through immigration and move into my bedroom. There you go. And that will be the only way I'm still able to play GTA Five. But I, I really would have preferred to play it on the PlayStation 4. I'm glad that things like the, the Strider remake have the option of getting that for PlayStation 4. Because it's like, I love my PS3, but it's, you know, times why are a changing. I do it on the, the newer system? Times are a changing. Simple as that. All right. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, I just wanted to say with that whole 1DS hoax, I really wish that that were real. Like, Nintendo should find that person who made that hoax and give them some money and say, hey, we actually want to make this a real thing. It would be interesting, that's for sure. If I have a one screen, well, if I get a one screen... 90 seconds. Because the shit stands for dual screen. There, this is true. Hold on, hold on one second. Just a quick reminder, folks: the Blog Talk Radio feed will be going off in approximately two minutes. You can continue listening live by heading over to mtrlive.com or m or mixler m i x l r dot com forward slash my take radio. You can also listen on gfqlive.tv. Again, the Blog Talk Radio feed will be going off in approximately seconds. Well, in approximately sixty seconds, according to the English woman. So, um, mtrlive.com to continue listening to the live show. Go ahead, Slick. Yeah, just the the whole concept of making my TV the second screen, that goes back to the days of the, what the fuck was that attachment 
The Game Boy oh. player. Yeah, the Game Boy player. I love that, dude. <laughs> That's from the, the Super Nintendo. The Game that, Boy. That would have been so awesome. The Game Boy player was my shit on the GameCube. I remember when I finally sold my GameCube. I actually sold the Game Boy Player separate because I saw so many people on eBay getting so much money for it. And my Wavebird. Ten seconds. If they if they had made that a real thing, it came out with it. Well, the the um the fake website did actually have it coming out on the launch date of Pokemon. That that would that would just kill it. It would be amusing, that's for sure. They would make so much money. It'd be like that that same gift that they, they made before. But like, it prints money. <laughs> this is true. Well, sadly, that is not the case. Unfortunately, you're going to have to deal with the, uh, the tablet-looking, um, you know, 2DS. And my professional comment on that is, fuck that thing. (laughs) That is my professional opinion on the 2DS. Ladies and gentlemen, for anybody who's planning on buying it, anybody who buys it and loves it, I'm sorry, but my professional opinion is, fuck that thing. There you have it. Anything else you want to add with that? <laughs> no, or are you gonna, or are you gonna drop the mic and walk off the stage? Yeah, fuck that thing. Drop the mic. <laughs> there you go. All right, homie. Thank you for the call. All right, peace. Peace. Well, there you have it, ladies and gents. Slick is not a fan of the 2DS. Well, last segment of the night. It's 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time now, Friday, uh, September sixth. Let's get into some entertainment news to take it home. So we're going to open up with a very interesting interview that Justin Timberlake recently did on the radio talking about Ben Affleck as Batman, which he said he approved of. He said that he would love the opportunity to play in a Batman film. And of course, they asked if he would play Robin. And he said, not a chance in hell. I ain't playing Robin. He said, I have no aspiration to be a superhero in a movie. Now, a villain, I'll tell you, I want to play more than anything because I grew up loving Batman is the Riddler. The Riddler is my favorite villain. The Riddler was like a sociopath. He was proper crazy. So if I'm going to play crazy, I want to play a proper crazy. I'm ready. The Riddler. Give me a call. So there you have it. Justin Timberlake wants to play the Riddler in a Batman movie. There, I can't even put it into words, folks. Justin Timberlake wants to be a bad guy. It is what it is. Anyway. Uh, the Dracula movie I was talking about a while back with um, Luke Evans is moved around. They actually are going to be releasing the Dracula movie now, October 3rd, 2014. So there you have it. I think originally they were scheduling it for a summer release, but now it's being moved to October 3rd, 2014. Now, last week we were joking about Bradley Cooper voicing Rocket Raccoon. Well, that rumor is now officially a reality. 
Marvel confirmed it on their website. Bradley Cooper will be voicing Rocket Raccoon. Cooper joins, of course, Chris Pratt, Zoe Zaldana, Batista, Lee Pace, Michael Rooker, Karen Gillian, uh, Digimon Hansu, Benicio Del Toro, John C. Riley, and Glenn Close in Guardians of the Galaxy, which opens in theaters August 1st, 2014. There you have it. Now, last week we also talked about Tony Ja being in Fast 7. Well, it looks like Kurt Russell may be joining the cast as well. Variety is reporting that Kurt Russell is in negotiations for a role that was originally offered to Denzel Washington. Now, from what's been said is that the role in the seventh film was going to be small, but that would be a much bigger role going forward. Of course, Fast 7 hits theaters July 11th, 2014 with Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, Tyrese, Jason Statham, Tony Ja, and of course, Ronda Rousey. So there you have it. Kurt Russell may be joining the Fast 7 cast. On the box office front, One Direction owned the box office this holiday weekend, taking in $17 million. Lee Daniels, the butler, was number two. We're the Millers was number three. Planes was number four. Instructions Not Included was number five. Elysium was number six. The Mortal Instruments City of Bones was number seven. The World's End was number eight. The Getaway was number nine. And Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters was number ten. Now, of course, this bit of news has been making the media rounds all week. And, of course, that is the casting for the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey film. Everybody, of course, had their own um, picks, especially uh, the one and only Matt Bomer from White Collar always was a fan favorite. But it turns out that the casting for the film is as follows. Uh, The character of Christian Grey will be played by... Charlie Hunnam from Sons of Anarchy and Pacific Rim, and the character of, uh, what the hell is her name? Uh, Anastasia Steele will be played by Dakota Johnson, who was in the social network Need for Speed, and I mean, uh, yeah, who's in social network Need for Speed, which is coming out, and 21 Jump Street. Um, she is the, uh, she's the daughter I'm trying to remember who she's the daughter of Dakota Johnson. I think it's Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith, if I'm correct. Either way, um, those are the the characters that were cast to play Christian Grey and Anastasia Steele. Of course, people are not happy with that casting. There's been petitions all over the place with regards to who they wanted. Like I said, they wanted uh, Matt Bomer and Alexis Bledel, but that is not the case. Unfortunately, you know... Charlie Hunnam and uh, Dakota Johnson will have to do. Anyway, the book, the movies, of course, will follow the books, which are about a 27-year-old billionaire and his college student love interest, Anastasia Steele. Of course, Christian Grey is the billionaire. Anastasia, Anastasia Steele is the love interest. And the films, of course, will be based on the novels Fifty Shades of Grey Freed and Fifty Shades of Grey Darker, plus, of course, the initial book, Fifty Shades of Grey. So, there you have it. People, like I said, have been rather vocal with their displeasure with the casting, but what can you do? Alright, in some small screen news, True Blood is officially announcing that its seventh season will be its last. That final season will be airing in 2014. I'm not shocked because I watched this past season of True Blood and I felt incredibly let down. Um, in a lot of aspects, and 
I'm not shocked that they're going to kind of wrap it up in the seventh season. I think it's really ran its course, and you might as well end it on a high note. Speaking of HBO, I am very pumped because Boardwalk Empire comes back this Sunday. But True Blood fans, final season, 2014. Transformers 4 finally has a title. It will be Transformers 4, Age of Extinction. Ugh. Age of Extinction, sorry. Poor pronunciation on my part. Um, of course, everybody's talking about the fact that the Dinobots will be in this film. Uh, Lorenzo D. Bonaventura confirmed that. Um, of course, the Dinobots have Grimlock, Sludge, Slag, Snarl, and Swoop, which... If you're not familiar, Grimlock is a T-Rex, Sludge is a Brontosaurus, Slag is a Triceratops, Snarl is a Stegosaurus, and Swoop is a Pterodactyl. So it's going to be very interesting to see if they will be given uh, their dinosaur counterparts or if they're going to do something stupid and make them cars. I really hope that is not the case. Anyway, Transformers 4 hits theaters June 27th, 2014. And some other small screen news... um, Cynthia Adai Robinson, who you may have seen in Spartacus, is now going to be portraying Amanda Waller in the TV series Arrow. Amanda Waller, of course, is the leader of the Suicide Squad, who will also be appearing in the Arrow TV series. So there you have it. Season 2 of Arrow hits small screens October 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on The CW. A couple of months back, we were joking about the rumored sequel to Independence Day 2 and how they were looking for Will Smith to come back and allegedly he had passed on the role. Well, things have changed quite a bit. According to Digital Spy, Roland Emmerich said that he's actually meeting with Will Smith about possibly returning to play Captain Stephen Hiller in Independence Day 2. So there you have it. Bill Pullman and Jeff Goldblum have confirmed to return with the film taking place and filming in 2015 or 2016. Of course, Independence Day earned $800 million, which was huge at the time when it hit hit theaters in July 1996. And in the last bit of movie news, you can call it what the fuck movie news. They're actually going to do another big screen adaptation of The Island of Dr. Moreau uh, being put out by Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's Appian Way. Hemlock Grove writers Brian McGreevy and Lee Shipman are set to write the screenplay. Of course, if you've seen The Island of Dr. Moreau, you know it's based on the original story by H.G. Wells about a physiologist who experimented on animals through vivisection and created humanoid beasts. Um, Of course, this new film is going to be the sixth adaptation. Um, The most previous, of course, was that terrible one from 1996, which was directed by John Frankenheimer and starred Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer in the leading roles, which completely sucked. Um, I don't think people really need a seventh Island of Dr. Moreau film. Personally, I don't think it really is something people are interested in seeing. I could be wrong. And I will close out by saying that I did see the trailer for RoboCop. And as much as I shit on the concept of a reboot, it did impress me. Make sure to be on the lookout for the trailer on mytakeradio.com later on this evening. All right. That's actually going to wrap up tonight's show. Uh, there's actually a couple of things I'm going to work on, so I might as well turn it in. We went a little over about 10 minutes, three hours and 10 minutes. We're clocking in at thus far, but um, we're going to wrap it up. Anyway, I'm sure that PG-13 RoboCop will be a hard sell. Slick even reinforced that in the chat, but the trailer gives me some hope. Anyway, P-13 
be on the lookout for my first impression post regarding RoboCop in the near future. All right, let's take it home. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 197 for Thursday, September 5th, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio or MTR Behind the Mic or MTR Beyond the Mic, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. As I've mentioned on the site, as well as on the fan page and in previous episodes, we are looking for writers. So if you are passionate about MMA, wrestling, video games, entertainment, comics, geek culture, technology, we want to hear from you. If you are familiar with the show and know how we operate and want to test your skills, send me a writing sample at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or fill out the application on the site. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we run a pretty tight ship, but not tight enough to make people hate the job. Four articles a month is the minimum. And, of course, we try to give you access to all the cool stuff we get, comics, electronics, games, you name it. We try and spread the wealth among all our writers. Again, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you're interested in writing for us, you can also fill out the application on the site. To keep up with My Take Radio, you can follow us on Twitter at mytakeradio.com. You can also become a fan on Facebook, add us to your circle on Google+, follow our boards on Pinterest. You can follow me on Instagram, rich underscore MTR, and I have also allowed uh, follower capability on my personal Facebook. So please, you know, I've said this before in previous episodes, if I know you and we've communicated and you send me a friend request, sure, you know. I'll definitely try to ask you where I know you from, etc., and I may approve you. But you can always follow or you can follow the show via other mediums on social networking sites. All right. Last but not least, the complete My Take Radio experience is available on the MTR apps available for Android, iOS, and Windows Mobile and Windows 8. It's $1.99 available for Android in the Amazon Marketplace, for iTunes, I mean for iOS in iTunes, and of course for Windows Mobile and Windows 8 in the Windows Store. Again, $1.99, it's cheaper than a cup of coffee. You get 96K stereo episodes, mobile wallpapers, exclusive content offered to app owners before the general public, and a host of other stuff. Again, you can pick those up for Android in the Amazon Marketplace, iOS in iTunes and of course in Windows in the Windows mobile store. And of course you can always listen to archive episodes either via the archive show tab on the site, uh, iTunes, Block Talk Radio, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and of course you can also catch reruns on the GFQ network. Lastly, if you are getting the show via iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We would really appreciate it and of course it gets us noticed by brand new listeners and hopefully gets us into the top 100 as well. All right. That's going to wrap up the show for this week. I figure after talking about him at great length during the show, I think we're going to go out with AJ Styles theme evil ways that he debuted on TNA impact. Of course you can get that probably through iTunes or look for it on YouTube. I will catch you guys next week on behalf of myself Slick, Jay Santi, Ben, Andrea, the Buried Boys, and the rest of the MTR family. I will catch you guys next week. I'm out of here. Peace. That's all, folks.